Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. When I get the itch to make techno, it's a hard one to scratch. I've tried many places, but there's only one for me, and it's called Signal Sounds. It's a shop in Glasgow where a team of beautiful humans, headed by the wonderful Jason, have completely massively and entirely got their shit together when it comes to stocking the most interesting gear and getting it to you fast. They ship worldwide within 48 hours in most cases and their roster is sexier than a badger with rockets on his underpants. They've just got restocks in from Instruo. The Erica Synth Techno System's in stock and I heard that Richie Hawdon's got five. And God bless him, Ross Lamont just made half a dozen 6U10H4P travel cases and as you know, he's getting out the game. And if that wasn't enough, he's got himself a whole load of dub for never heard of it. And mannequins don't understand it. Yes, they've got everything a growing human needs other than haggis. Ha, only kidding. They've got haggis as well. So get your butt and put it on the internet and go to signalsounds.com. The website again is signalsounds.com. Why We Bleep is also sponsored by Obsidian Sound. Did you want to finish that record? What record? The one you were making the other day. Why don't you finish it? Oh, but I don't know if people will like the mix. Mm, that's true. If it's a shit mix, you're in trouble. If only there was some kind of mastering service that also offered a kind of polishing advice stage. Oh, wait. There is. Obsidian Sound is a mixing and mastering studio run by modular artist Nathan Moody. Nathan's approach is to help hone and polish independent electronic music so it has the greatest possible impact on the listener. Nathan gives feedback and advice on your mixes and general recording practice so that the files you deliver to him are the best they can possibly be. So if you need a critical, objective ear to polish your next release and then master it, drop by and visit him at obsidiansound.net. And if you mention why we bleep, Nathan will take 10% of your next project. So for mixing and mastering, go to obsidiansound.net. That website again is obsidiansound.net. Why? Hello, my booty. How are you doing? Forgive the slight interruption in our normally scheduled programming, but I've been a little bit insanely busy moving house. Uh, I don't live in London anymore. I lived in London. It was nice. I enjoyed it. I'm in Yorkshire now. Hi. Welcome. Uh, it's nice, isn't it? I mean, you can't see what I'm seeing right now, but if you could, you'd recoil in disgust because although I am fully clothed I am surrounded by boxes upon boxes upon boxes upon boxes and things just sprawled around because I have been completing a number of projects and whenever I'm sort of in the burn like trying to get something done um Mm. everything else kind of suffers if I'm honest certainly just basic tidiness suffers uh, it's quite incredible it's actually genuinely incredible um, how messy one human can be. But by God, the work is getting done. Um, and in fact, two very major things have happened. One, which I, 
I can talk about, I'm going to talk about, is that I have completed an album. Yes, an album of music. Uh, not just a person who produces videos, uh, but also a person who produces music, which is a thing I've been doing much longer than I've ever produced videos, but you've not really heard it. So uh, this will be interesting. Uh, and it's done. By God, it's done. For better or worse, abandoned. But you can't hear the music yet. You will be able to hear it soon, but bear with me. It's being mastered, actually, by Nathan Moody. Truly, I eat my own dog food. <laughs> the person who is very, very kindly sponsoring this episode, and one of them, genuinely is mastering my music, and I'm paying him to do so. Actually, for the second time, uh, Nathan mastered my Data Cult audio podcast, and that absolutely banged when it came back. And he was absolutely rad. Um, I mean, I've talked about this, obviously, just now. But yeah, Nathan Nathan gives you feedback in terms of, you know, what you're doing. And when I was doing the album, you know, he, one of the things he told me was he pointed out one of the tracks, one of the mixes I delivered in, and said, this is the one. Like, if you ever wanted a track that you can use as a reference point to say that this is what a good mix should sound like in the room where you mixed it, it's that track. Um, and that was incredibly valuable information for me because when I was sending him the tracks, half of what I was hoping for is just some uh, a third opinion or a second opinion on the tunes because you've listened to these podcasts. I've talked a bit about it, but but like I don't trust my hearing, um, and I've been in a transitory state for the last few months, moving around, so I've had to pull apart my space. So I don't trust my space. All I really trust are headphones, and you shouldn't trust headphones entirely when it comes to mixing either. So I'd be fair to say I've had no like yardstick. So it's incredibly reassuring to sort of send the, the files off and just think, oh God, please don't eviscerate me. Um, I have someone say, you do need to change a few bits here, but it's largely good, but this is your baseline. That's really valuable. And so that's a thing. And actually on that front, when I talked about my hearing, I got a, there's a thing I want to mention because if any one of you or, well, all of you are listening or affected by sort of inner ear problems from time to time. And when I say inner ear problems, it sounds like an ad. It's not. I, I just want, genuinely want you to know about this product. You go on an aeroplane and when you come off the aeroplane or when you're in the air, you get that whole horrible sort of stuck inner ear thing where it sounds really painful. It's, you get like pain in your ears and you have to chew gum, obviously, to try and, um, you know, try and sort of fix that problem. And um, what it is, is your ears are not equalized. You know this, where what equalization really means, though, is that there's a cavity inside your, um, you know, inside your head, inside your ear, nose and throat. Basically, there is a valve called the eustachian tube. You have one on each side. And your eustachian tubes are the things that actually open up and equalize your inner ear so that when you're chewing, when you're chewing gum, the act of chewing basically pulls your eustachian tubes open and it forces them to open and to keep equalizing. So by chewing gum, if you have normally functioning eustachian tubes, you're constantly, every chew, you're pulling them open and you're equalizing. That's what's happening. I, however, was born with a cleft palate where you get that thing, you know, you get kind of a hair lip, they call it, where, you know, you have like a gap out of your lip. Well, I actually didn't have that. I had it in the back of my mouth, um, and it meant I was literally born with a hole in my head. <laughs> Welcome. Turned out all right. But unfortunately, what that can lead to is sort of inner ear problems later in life because, you know, you obviously you've got a slightly messed up inner ear. My problem had been struggling to e equalise the pressure in my ears. Um, I had a cold. Um, you can actually hear it in the podcast coming up. I had a bit of a cold. 
and I couldn't equalize my ears. And in fact, I've always struggled. And I bought a device which is called the Ear Popper. Ear Popper. The Ear Popper. It was £99, which sounds like a lot. But what it does is it's basically just a little sort of electric pump that sort of steadily puffs air. And this is going to sound really weird and horrible, but you put that up to your nose, close your other nose, and then you're blowing air into your nose. And what you do is you swallow. And when you swallow, it f- the air is diverted into your eustachian tube and it forces the bastard to open. Um, and it popped my ears, God damn it, um, which is amazing. So um, for £99, that's worth every penny. There is also an alternative product, which is called Otovent, O-T-O-V-E-N-T. And that is like £7. And that's basically a, a kind of balloon and valve that does the same thing. So if you have kids um, and your kids get glue ear, that's kind of what this is designed to help them do, to help open up your station tubes and drain fluid out. I sound like a doctor. I'm not, so you should check with your doctor before using something like this. I checked with an audiologist at Hearology. Shout out to Vincent. And it is amazing, especially when it comes to mixing, because, you know, I'm sitting there going, I don't know my room, I don't know my speakers, I don't know this, and I don't trust headphones, and I also don't even trust my own friggin' ears. So... Nice to sort of clear out the baselines. Anyway, highly recommend it. If you have trouble popping your ears, it's worth every penny. Buy one uh, or try the Otto event. Um, and then the other thing has been doing a video. Don't worry about it. You'll know I haven't been doing videos very much. That's because I've been moving. But I'm starting again. And I've just done a video on the Rebel technology Stoikea. Stoikea. That's Greek. And tonic. Uh, and the Stoikea is a dual Euclidean sequencer, and the tonic is an additive pit sequencer. Yeah, where you feed gates into the module, and by feeding in gates, it creates intervals. It's, in fact, it's exactly what I've been doing with my live system, where I've been combining two voltages together and subtracting as well using a precision adder. The tonic kind of does that just in one module. Uh, it's really slick, and you use gates to do it, or you can push little buttons. Um, so there's a video. Um, go and watch that. It is very um, weird. It's quite awful. The music is quite sort of like, I was kind of just vibing on, I've been listening to sort of the Orteca NTS thing. It certainly does not sound like that, but it's just that kind of, you know, hey, why don't we just go for the weird sizzling sounds from the cycle box and just smash a sort of, you know, brutal beat underneath that. That's enough. I don't need more than that. And some other fun stuff as well. There's some general CV doing piano and the Lyra, Soma Lyra effects, which I've got, which is the sort of the Lyra's effects, like delay section in a Eurorack module. And if you've seen the Soma Lyra or heard it, you'll be, you'll, that will be a thing that you'll be interested in. It's a very, 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 very weird delay um, where you've got like cross modulation or cross, um, you know, the, the two, there's two delays and they, they can literally influence each other. It's really weird. Um, and it gets very crunchy and cruffy and fluffy and floofy and ploofy. Um, yeah, really good and distorted. So check that out. Check out the vid. Um, at some point, we probably should talk to Ben. So let's. And who is Ben? Uh, just in case you don't know, Ben Wilson is a man. Ben Wilson is a man from Bradford who is a fellow 
um, I, this term YouTuber. He's a fellow YouTuber. But, you know, we are people who make YouTube videos, and he certainly does. Man is extremely prolific. I genuinely don't know how Ben shoehorns the time in. I really don't. He is insane. Um, but he's prolific. You will have probably almost certainly watched some of his videos. And his knowledge, it, I mean, this is the thing. I don't know if you've met, if you've ever met him or, you know, if you've spent any time or commented and he's replied and he's just like, what you don't know about Ben necessarily is that, I mean, Ben's background is he's a drummer. He plays the guitar. He teaches drums. He is an extremely accomplished musician. He is an excellent drummer like an, a really truly excellent drummer uh, which are skills that are obviously employed in the production of electronic music but are not you've never watched a video of him playing the drums do you know what i mean um and he has a whole background where he's um produced and, and I, you know i'm sure he will understand me saying or phrasing like this you know has reached a kind of moderate level of success in the sort of releasing dance music um which we talk about in the podcast um, you know, but he's not, he's chosen a slightly different path. He teaches and he's making videos as a way of kind of reaching the world and imparting knowledge, but he makes music and he's very good at it. And if, again, if you've spoken to him, you probably ended up doing what I do, which is chat about just techniques and tips and tricks and the knowledge just seems to kind of fall out of him. Um, and so that's basically what we did. Um, I wrote a lot of questions, but I didn't really get to them. We sort of joke about that. We get to some, um, but it's really just a, one of those freeform episodes, but probably the most useful, if that makes sense, as in there's so many things in this that, that, I mean, I'm speaking for myself here, but are things where as I was listening, I was like, eh, must try that. That's a really bloody good idea. Um, there's a lot of those sorts of moments. There's a lot of kind of information that just, as I say, just kind of comes tumbling out of the guy because he's he knows everyone and he chats to everyone and he's constantly trying to improve and, you know, improve what he does, improve his own knowledge. Um, so we talk about that, better getting better at making music. That's sort of the main thing. Uh, but also things like promoting. How do you promote your music and become known? Um, we talk about going to Sun O'Gigs. yes. Yes, mate. Love that band. Um, favourite since we did, I actually did sort of pin him down on the, what's your favourite filter? Um, which is a question that made him bulk slightly, but we did have a very grown up conversation as well. And um, he does have favourite filters, so it's good to talk about that. Um, making sample packs. That's an interesting one. Um, trying to come up with a thousand kicks. Um, I'm not sure I can come up with more than one, really. Uh, dancing around the living room as a kid. Talk about trendy mixing desks. We talk about mix referencing. We talk about feel referencing, which is a concept that Ben invents during this podcast. Um, man so full of ideas and suggestions and tips and tricks um, that he's genuinely inventing things uh, as we talk. And I hope you will find it useful. I definitely have. So there's a number of things that I'm going to be on. I've actually already started employing in my own music as I've been finishing off this music, as has he, and other things that I hinted at, which I'll let you unpick. So... Without further ado, I give you Mr. Ben Wilson, a.k.a. Div Kid. What was 
it we were talking about before? Oh, this like feature creep thing. That's weird. What was it we were talking about? What was the thing? The Mozenzeef? Mozenzeef modular stargazer. Which is like a sort of like drone commandery sort of like box that just does. Yeah. Like it just makes noise. But the fact that people just like moan that it doesn't have CV connectivity, it doesn't have this, it doesn't it's have that. It's not the point. No. Of it. No. <laughs> like, Clearly, they make these LED jacks that work like a pheromone. And I think there's a white case one and a black case one. So, you know, one starts at high voltage and gets lower, one goes the other way. By default, that affects the LFOs, though, not the pitch, which is an interesting choice. I was saying this on Sonic Talk the other day. There's no way by the pitch knob to control the pitch of that instrument. Yeah. So you're pretty much set on, there's the oscillator droning, tonal changes is what's going to happen. People who don't understand. But that's cool, though. Yeah, yeah. It's like, but, 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 I can't play with the keyboard. It's like, well, you're not, you're not meant to. Yeah. It's like, well, why doesn't it do this? It's like, well, because it's not designed to. Because that yeah. person has designed it, not like, that's not a necessary part of the whole. Yeah. It's funny. Like, people do have a sort of weird, like, people impose their own, like, interpretation of what something should be without giving it time, I think, quite a lot of the time. Yeah. It's probably because it's probably just way too easy to make a comment on the internet about something before yeah. you've had a chance to actually think about it. But I, I, I looked at it and, and it saw it super booth. It sounded great. But I walked away thinking, oh, it'd be nice if I could connect more stuff to it. Mm-hmm. But then having tried it, I was just like, no, that, that is that instrument. Mm. You just embrace its quirks That was um... and enjoy it or not. I mean, everything's not for everyone. You've got to accept that. But yeah. I really like just the kind of vision of what that instrument is. I mean, you could resample it. You could just treat it as this, just just drone that you, yeah, yeah. you drop in a sampler. Or I think that's what um, Eb Siddick was on about with the bug brand stuff, where he's like, "I've got all of this bug brand stuff. I barely used it, um, but when I got that ER three hundred one sound computer that samples, suddenly it recontextualized all this junk that I had lying around. Because I was like, oh, well, I need like sample material, so I'll just like plonk my like." my like pile next to it recording a load of sound and shove it back in a box and he's like i didn't were you saying words to the effect of i was glad i had it i didn't suddenly think yeah. oh like this has been a big guilty waste of time owning all this shite like, <laughs> <laughs> but thinking of the the stargazer phil's got one as well mm. done the I, 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 and i asked him about it because it's something i was tempted to get before i did this video and got one through from them and he said, yeah, I've just sampled it. He said, it just sits as beds and textures and mm. I repitch it in the samples. And and it's interesting, Epsidic's released that kind of techno-free industrial ambient album recently. Because um, that to me is, the it's like the background of all his sets yeah. I've ever heard yeah, has yeah. come forward. Yeah. You strip the hi-hats and kicks out and it's like, uh, that's all that stuff that... When people say they don't like techno or, no, I'm not into dance music or ambient art. And I'm like, but listen to what's going on. And they can't see past the kind of kick and hats. Yeah. And Phil's kind of gone, there it is. Mm. I don't know if it, I don't think it was, um, but I don't know if he's recorded that way. And he's kind of muted the drums as he stemmed out of his oh, yeah. live case and gone. Is it actually just his live This set, just works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this just works. Oh, yeah, why not? It, it's great, but it just, it does just work really well. I did have that, like, playing, I was playing bits of a tune I was making and I was just listening to the drums by themselves and just thinking, like, these are actually quite good. And, like, they're, they're not enough on their own. But when you just think, like, when this is part of the ensemble, I lose a lot of... There's a lot of work gone into this element that you're yeah. not hearing. Yeah, yeah. That, because it, it, it's only right that it's part of an ensemble. But you sort of think, like, oh, shit, maybe I should just, like... I don't know, like, write a track as just drums only and then sort of work up from there. Because I'm, 
I always try and like shoehorn a whole track together from the very get go. If that makes sense. Yeah, you want. I don't work so far. Eight sixteen loop of the full thing. Yeah, and then you go back and strip out, and then like reverse engineer that into the track. Yeah, but but you end up well. You're doing that, so you sat with a DAW of you know sixteen bar loop or whatever. You've got the peak, the full body of the track. And you go back and you make your intro that's just got a couple of elements. It's maybe sat on one note instead of the change. I and you're like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. But there's so, this the dance music thing, isn't it? Like when you go back, I mean, technology's changed it, but when you used to have eight plus minute tunes for the sake of doing a really long evolving, like two minute transitional mix, mm. um, some of those bits were amazing. Yeah. Even the really simple, like... Um, Dead Mouth, Dead Mouse, Wolfgang Dead Gartner, Dead Mouth Five, Wolfgang Gartner. Those just big electro things. When they started, kind of was that like two thousand and eight, maybe. And Wolfgang Gartner as well. His production is very good. But there's thirty two bars of just drums. They were still doing this oh, like nice. trancey techno. We want a big long bit just to mix into the next track. Mm. But they're just super simple drums. But they are absolutely slamming. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of miss that. You know, there might be like a thumb click or a clap before a snare and it all just like flams into the beat yeah, yeah. and it just shoves the mix forward. Really common techniques, but when you hear it in isolation... The one like, where it's oh, like, it feels actually, like it's sucking into the snare, like... Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah those one are, of those every four times round. I sort of you know. listen to that and I just think like, oh, fuck, like you put much more work into your beats than I have. <laughs> like, I should really do some of that. Well, that's kind of <laughs> how the DivKid thing started. I, was, I started making cheesy trance stuff to be honest it's embarrassing and there are releases out there under a different name that people will not find what's the name uh, no i'm not going into that <laughs> that's fine what's no the name? I, the, the name was if people are really interested and it's one of those like yeah, i say it's embarrassing i don't really care because i was a lot younger bon lewis which is an anagram of ben wilson b-o-n-n yeah I, I thought that was like this cool european bon lewis that's a nice name that's it's, it's like, all right yeah, it's anagram of ben wilson i thought yeah. that's all right yeah. so that i put and it's, it's super cheesy trance a lot of yeah. it. and some of it the only embarrassing bit is that it was released and this is the label's fault the kind of gatekeeper's fault of these small US labels really putting it out the production's not good enough to be released they shouldn't have just let they should have no but you go back like it. eight years ago in where you I was you didn't know as much no like, I didn't so you're just like yeah if someone's going to release it then you listen back and you're like eh, it doesn't really stand up but yeah. it improved over the time that it was me and my friend Andy uh, doing the Div Kid stuff. We had Kyle Cox supporting our tunes for a while and release we were putting out. And, That's outrageous. And we were just putting a ton of stuff out. We started a separate, it's very much like Berlin Techno now. I think it's called Dark Elements, the, the sub-label that we had to our kind of main called Lung Filler Records. Mm. Stupid name, like Div Kid. Um, <laughs> where you were doing as a kid. <laughs> I, I can't even know where that came from. The image is, is Andy that I used to produce with, uh, his cousin's a tattoo artist. We just is this like, that weird, like, the U-shaped yeah, the, the character head. thing? Yeah, it's got, it does have a whole body and right. a backstory. There is this whole Div Kid family tree and all the stupid stuff we used to run with. Um, but we were putting out a lot of really dark techno for a while and someone else ran with that it was kind of successful enough to say to someone else you can run a sub-label under our brand because you had like this there was enough of a branding sort of element well that was all very different being kind of minimal dark techno stuff it just didn't suit the stupidity of the, <laughs> of the you weren't allowed to be playful you're supposed to be like yeah, you know yeah, wear all black all and, and look cool and, and, yeah, and like you're like band photo will be like you'll be all blurry and shit yeah. like you can be like oh. yeah and just grungy like uh, black on dark grey textures for yeah. artwork and stuff cool. like that. Yeah, try to just be cool. Scratchy, right, a scratchy font that you've downloaded off the internet. 
But that started as um, I had someone saying the other day, like, how do I get any traction? They're on about making videos, and and they were asking how Div Kids started, and I said that we used we ran it. We were lucky; it was the placement year, like the sandwich year on a um, on our degree yeah. uni. So we we just did like ten well six, ten well seven, six days a week for a year. Which is why the production just shot up in terms of our quality. Cause it was just like you mean you just pounded out. Yeah, we constantly. just sat in back in Andy's parents' basements or my bedroom back at my parents' place. We were just like, we're not gonna work. Not getting a job was a really wise idea. It was like we're not. We can move back in with our parents for this placement year, um, which I don't think either of us particularly wanted to, but that's what we did. Yeah. Um, we can just focus on this. And that was the drive for it. All, all the placements at uni were rubbish, but we knew we wanted to do a placement. Hmm. And we both gigged enough and been in studios enough that it was so like... So you said you did a placement, you basically took the year off. You didn't yeah, go to a place, you just no, said, no, we're going to work on the skill. But it was a skill. placement that is at Huddersfield University and you could do, uh, you could do you, every two months, I think we used to have to go in and speak to kind of business advisors. And there was very small grants, you know, a couple of grand here or there, or you could put forward a promotional plan. There was only us doing any audio. And then we'd be in these kind of almost like uni lectures or small seminars and people making jewellery or T-shirts or whatever. Mm. And with very little work to do to gain that like qualification, as it were. Mm. But for us, it was this year. That's all we're going to do. That's amazing, though. What a, like, opportunity just to, like... I always think that, like, what if I had all day to just make music as yeah. if I was, like, a professional musician, you know, like... Like in the good old days where you'd sort of, where you could make money from music necessarily and it would be like... We, did, we made little, we only made anything because of the volume. Our, our initial plan and why we were allowed to do that as uni, we could have just taken a year off and done it anyway, was you to put a, a plan together. It was very kind of Dragon's Den, the start of it, without the entertainment value or the, or the bad puns from that guy. But um, it was, we'll put a single out every month and then in 12 months we'll put a 12-track album out to kind of oh, wow. collect what we've done and it just really quickly got ridiculous and that was the kind of start of any professional sound work really. when you said it got ridiculous you mean actually it was successful y yeah but in terms of the amount we were doing just tons of remixes you know each week you know on a monday i might just spend nine hours writing personal emails to blogs and djs because copy and paste jobs do not work yeah spam email does not work yeah so if it you know when Carl cox supported stuff you make the effort to send it through to his agent and say thanks for playing this and when you send the next track you send them a personal email yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great that you played this remix of our track on episode 349 of your podcast or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah we've got another track from the same artist we think yeah. you really like it's flattering and then there's they a bit of, and then there's a little bit of copy and paste you know the links and this is the little mini press release and but it was it was that, and I didn't think that's what we'd end up doing. But you quickly realise that putting things on Beatport, iTunes, and just copying to every email address you can find does not work. It's bobbins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no one likes anything. We're the same. We get those emails from people just like, you know, yeah. mail bombing you for for like for whatever reason. Yeah. Why would you respond? Yeah. Well, it's no. like doing a CV. It's you customise it to the company, yeah. don't you? It's, yeah, of course. But the the, the kind of. I, I, kind of forcing my story on you with this conversation. Right, no, you can force, force it on me, mate. <laughs> but it was really naively, I think we were two releases in, uh, sent an email to Dom Kane, yeah. who I'd seen in like Future Music Magazine, Computer Music Magazine. He had some Loop Masters sample packs out. So I would really like you to remix this. And that seemed like a massive jump up for us, which it was, but he wasn't this like real top tier kind of electro house artist or whatever. He'd kind yeah. of, 
he's kind of on that bubble and he'd been doing sound design for Moog I think there's a lot of his presets in the Slim Fatties and mm. things like that yeah um, worked with Steve Duda and Dead Mouse yeah, and, all, and all that yeah. kind of stuff and he was like yeah I'm just going to a gig in Russia but had a quick listen downloaded it on the plane I like it so I'll remix it and we were just like huh, what do we do we're going to have to send him like a contract and and we were just like we've got 50-50 on it that's normal right which it is and that worked and he just he liked the track so he did a remix and then I think he said, where did the drums come from? Like, I've been making my own for a while, trying to do it all, like, as unique as I can. Oh, could you make me some? How many have you got? I, like, I think I've got 20 kick drums or something. So, like, could you make a few hundred? And he's like, yeah, all right. So the first thing then that I ended up doing for Loop Masters was this pack called Drum Construction, and it's over a thousand single shot sounds. And I'd, I'd, how do you even like do a thousand hits? Is there a point where you just go, "Have I done this?" Or well, it was it was it is, <laughs> you know I don't I can't remember the numbers, but it's like four hundred kicks, two hundred snares, two hundred clans. It's at that time where I mean, looking at it now, it's kind of stupid. But packs and the packs are still sold on size. I've had offers recently for sample packs oh, of yeah. can you make us two gigabytes of sound? Yeah, it's like I get that from a like marketing perspective. It's yeah, just it's that over that two gig to, of sound. Yeah, you have to sort of say that. Yeah. Otherwise, it's meaningless. It's like, because you can't say they're really good, because obviously everyone's a really good. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you've yeah. got to say, you've got to have some of the metric. But the drums, it was, I, you know, I had loads of record. By this point, I'd played in a lot of bands and gigs and recorded. I had loads of kind of acoustic drum sounds to pull from. And then just trying to synthesize them in software was just kind of getting my head around synths enough to be mm. able to make good kind of kicks, which seems stupidly simple now having yeah. just gone all right you get a sign envelope to pitch run it through vca done kind of thing but that isn't kind With of how people start using sims is it really that's not or at least for me it, it was kind of preset flicking learning how to tweak presets to what i want yeah then being able to initialize a patch on software and make something i like yeah so in fact actually weirdly i was talking to someone yesterday we were doing like demos of like moog and archeria stuff all day and I was doing demos of stuff, showing some tricks and bits and bobs and talking about like the DFAM, shout out DFAM, <laughs> just because I like it. But um, it was like, yeah, like the DFAM, interestingly, because I was, I was posting on a, um, like a live stream that Moog did where it was Steve Dunnington who made the DFAM. And my question, the thing I've been trying to work out is like, how the hell did you come up with this? And interestingly, what he said was it came from the Voyager. I thought it was okay. going to, like, this is my like, stupid head. I was like, oh, it'll just be, he would have been playing around with a modular and going, that's cool, this patch. Yeah, we can package that into a yeah. circuit almost. Yeah, yeah, and just go, well, we'll make that as a finished product. It's so like, no, not at all. It came from drum synthesis, percussion synthesis on the Voyager. And he said, what people don't realise is the Voyager is an amazing percussion synthesizer, yeah. you know, and it's like, exactly as you say, it's like, of course it is. It's just that people just go to it and go, well, where's my Moog bass? Let's yeah. have that then. Yeah. And suddenly yeah, yeah, you just, and over time, the more you work with that instrument, if you're of a certain volition, like me, where you're a bit lazy in that sense, you're like, you just get into a mindset with it. And then you, you forget, probably forget that you're like, no, you can do all this other stuff. You can make every part of a track with this device. You know, uh, maybe a part of the problem is the fact that we've just, we've got way too many options and way too many synths. We're really spoiled. And it would yeah. do us well to be like, right, you've got no drum machine. You've got nothing, you've just got like a four track and this one thing. Yeah. Like, then yeah, you, then yeah. you'd have to like bloody make some drums on it. That's just, I, I almost kind of get fed up of seeing them because it's, it's like, yeah, everybody's doing it now, but they are still good content. Those kind of make a track with one 
synth yeah be it software or hardware and you kind of like okay, uh, another yeah. one like but he's a good exercise it is really good exercise. And i think it is a really important exercise especially also just because it'd be sort of stuff like just layering some sub under a kick just to yeah. fill it you know that yeah. kind of, which is like you say where it's like you do something that just didn't have the production impact it's like well you need tricks like that you do need to know how to make something slam mm. well like andy that i used to produce with as soon as i got into modular he you know we'd make some bass patch and he was like you're losing a bit of low end can we not take a sub from somewhere and me naive at the time not knowing i was like no that's that's the patch that will do something else and he was like can we not just take like another wave out of the oscillation just record it separately and it's like oh yeah yeah, yeah we could we, could, we, could, we <laughs> could just take the sign that's not being destroyed by the rest of the patch run it through another vca if it doesn't need to draw on mm. and yeah job done yeah, and then soft. Interestingly, I mean, Andy's not responsible for this, but then you'd see it on soft synths like Serum, where there was a button to route the sub, post all the processing, yeah. and I was like, oh, "That's exactly what he was on about." When I didn't get it, yeah. Um, but a lot of that kind of thinking came from recording ourselves as a band as kids in like my bedroom at my parents' place, and we'd have an SM58 in the sock drawer because we didn't have a stand, so you'd pull the drawer out, kind of. Oh, like, like put it on the edge, <laughs> and like stuff stuff all over. <laughs> and then we'd start learning up this Tascam. Uh, we had a tape recorder for a while, but we then got a hard disk one. And um, you'd be playing the chorus part, and one of the guitarists I was playing drums would say, "Yeah, I'll do the distortion part separately." so that that final chord from the chorus can ring into the verse. Nice. And that's when kind of like production started to thing. And we kind of argued as a band then, as kids, as, well, you can't do that live. We should just record it how we do it live. You turn your distortion on, you play the chorus, it's off for the verse or whatever. But live, and everyone it, will be having some pints and like no one will notice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. will notice on the and record. And then doing that and you're like, oh, right, okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we knew the kind of, you know, three-piece band they go for a guitar solo or something and there is a guitar in the background. We were aware of that level of kind of overdubbing stuff. It's like, oh yeah, maybe you do want that to ring out. So it does need to be on a different track. Or mm. Remember it with guitar amps as well. The two guitarists wanted the same amp at one point and having that discussion of you don't want to sound the same, it will be bigger if you have different sounds. Even if you're playing the same chords or whatever, yeah, yeah. it's going to sound better that you're on different sounds and amps. We don't just want... I mean, if it was exactly the same, it'd just be a phasey mess yeah. between their playing. I guess their playing would be different enough it'd work, but... Well, you spread the stereo left and yeah, right or whatever, yeah. but still, you want it to be different. Yeah, triple... So otherwise, if you collapse it to mono, then you'll get when <laughs> it'll disappear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We talked about that recently. It's funny, the layering sounds thing, working in college, these conversations... Well, not anymore, but I was working in college. These conversations come up about triple tracking guitars was like the Metallica thing. And Paul Gilbert did this experiment. I think he recorded 100 guitars playing oh the God. same thing. And he was like, after 20, it's irrelevant. Is it white noise? No, I mean, he's, he's playing... Super, Paul Gilbert's a super proper player. It's great. But it just he said after 20, even putting like an acoustic in and then a distorted guitar, a clean guitar, because you cannot tell the difference. Mm. And we used to, I used to go through that. The reason I bring it up is I used to go through that with projects of just 120 tracks in Logic. And you're just like... Uh why are we doing this like <laughs> and then he does it then turns to noise or mush or just a mess or so how can you mix anything i guess you just group everything you just high pass yeah and pass they'd be trying to make the biggest like saw wave pad card you've ever heard but then you realize you can't mix that it's just an absolute yeah, yeah. dog to mix it's like it's interesting that the sound of like bigness was i was literally thinking about it so i made it i think i made a note because in fact i did um because i was basically i was wanting to talk about mixing tips 
I have questions, but we don't have to talk about them. But, no, uh, come to that. No, it's fine. Um, but, like, we were talking about, you were saying, like, room reverb, like, using room reverb on a send, basically, in order to give some, like, life to drums, uh, basically. Yeah. You know, which I, I've done, you know. Um, but you did sort of, it was the importance of it. Because actually, the thing I was, I had a thought the other day, was at this event, I was like, I really like in videos, like, when I'm making a video and you're like you've got a live mic in the room with the synth like so often it sounds way better through the mic because of the effect of the room with the synth as in it sounds bigger you get a real sense of the power of how powerful it did sound in the room like are you when we're talking about playing a synth through speakers into a space i was like my god that thing sounded amazing but when you listen to the dry signal it's just like it does not. It does not sound amazing. I, I had this with the, actually the Mother Thirty Two. I was like playing some some just um, just uh, square waves. I was like, I had to say to him, I was like, through a big system, people will shit themselves with that. <laughs> but like, it yeah. doesn't sound like drying headphones. Drying headphones, it doesn't. But that's I think that's what you were saying about the importance of that the tiny report of room sound. Like, yeah, and actually there is. There's on this tune that I'm doing. There's like a Fairlight drum kit, and it's like there's a bit, and it just sounds so huge and bushy, and it's not from like the twelve bitness of the whatever the Fairlight is eight bit, but it's it's because the the drum sounds are really roomy, and that yeah. and that just yeah, yeah. big loud short report. But if they're in the samples, or you put that before compression, the conversation we had about the mixing stuff, just with just a phone call that we'd had, was. Recording a real drum kit, you tend to put a room mic, you know, right at the other end of the room. Yeah. And that's usually, it's often called a dirt mic. And just, you will slam the hell out of it, you'll distort it. But it'll be, you know, 20 dB or more under the yeah. mix of the individual sounds and overheads. But the thing that that adds, it's like the New York compression, parallel compression thing. Having that layer is such a powerful tool. Yeah. Because you've still got all your transients and your dynamics and above it but yeah. it, let, it just gives it this underbelly of like fatness yeah. Yeah. yeah so for electronic drums i really I, you know there's a lot of great samplers and stuff but i like just dropping sounds on a timeline and just you know copying the kick to every quarter note or whatever like not putting it in a sampler like yeah just, just spreading it over. just dropping in logic i do that in live i put it straight into a either a drum rack or a simpler why I do that, I don't know. Because Logic has the facility to do similar Live's things. Live's quite good in that it does name... When you actually get into your piano yeah. roll, the things are now correctly named, so you yeah. can be like, oh, that is actually the snare. Otherwise, you're like, is C3 the snare? It's like really yeah. annoying. Yeah, yeah. But you do that, and you you know, you know get all your drums together, you maybe put them in a drum bus, compression, it sounds good. If you can send those to a reverb first, and send the whole kit as well, even the bass drum sometimes, but low cut it on the way in. And then compress that reverb because it's like the room mic then. Yeah. And if the reverb's small enough, you can have more small reverb before you notice it. Yeah. yeah. You know, if there's a 10 second tail, you kind of know hiding that in a mix. That's, that's how I tend to do things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you want on Simpson stuff, but yeah. you, you can't feed many drum sounds into that. Um, well, no. Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> but you know, super small room and convolution reverbs are great. Used to use Altiverb a lot. Uh, and there's Frank Zappa's live room has been modelled as a compulse response. And there's nice drum room, Frank Zappa's live room, and another one that were just so good, just 100% wet, loads of compression, and just sit it underneath. Just to simulate the dirt mic. Yeah, because yeah. there isn't that with the electronic drums. But you can use that kind of dirt mic then as, 
almost a dirt room. Well, let's yeah. make our synth production, elect completely electronic production, sound like a band in a room. Yeah. We'll run varying amounts of everything into it. So we've like, been, like ripping sort of like synth sounds are going to sound bigger as well with that. Yeah. Like math, because it's just, it's that thing, yeah. There's no a sense of the like, like it, it reverberating a space. Yeah. And I don't think there's any modeling of moving air, the way we respond to that. Yeah. It just, there's no kind of getting around it. I mean, I bought a little, um, just a radial reamp box. Yeah. Just so I could go the other way of a DI box and just go sound card out. And just used to run. Amp. Yeah, yeah. Just to, it had a 4x12 Marshall stack at the time. So nice. I used to just run hardware sims into it. But the recording chain then, we'd either reamp stuff like that playing around. And a lot of it was experimenting, but a lot made its way into productions. But, you know, the amp might be pretty clean, but we'd have like a dry take off the synth and maybe one into maybe pedals and an amp or just an amp. And then a couple of mics on the amp. Treat it like you would a guitar. Yeah. Got a 57 really close to it. And then something else a metre or two away. And just like that, once you bring it. that together, yeah, yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah. And you can make an image out of a mono sound. Then you can go, okay, dry sound down the centre, direct mic slightly left, room mic slightly right. And you've just got this image as well. Mm. But it's big. It works yeah. really well. yeah. yeah. Another nice trick with reverb, a uh, friend is, is playing every instrument himself, it's ridiculous, uh, remaking some Duke Ellington jazz nice. tracks. He's a brass player, but he's a great drummer, he's got great feel. And he, he, I mean, it's a common trick, but I'd just not heard of it until he told me, having a 100% wet reverb version on the opposite side. So as he's panning his horns, say he's got a soprano sax fully left, mm. but then it, it doesn't sound weird fully left because there's a whole stack of horns in the kind of stereo image. So a you, bit like, like sitting in front of an orchestra, the strings are there, but they don't feel like they're hard left because yeah, the yeah. whole thing is one big So space. you're saying that the, the report of the reverb is in the opposite side yeah. to the actual dry instrument. But then as the instruments come round, the reverb comes back the other way. Okay. So if it... I mean, it wouldn't... I see. So, that they so if it's trumpet sides. hard right, the trumpet's reverb will be left. If and then the ones that are hard right, left, that reverb the reverb's is there. hard right. That's and a great that, idea. That image is amazing. Is it? Yeah, because yeah, of course really you're going to hear like a little sort of bounce across the room effectively like the sound spreading across the sound spectrum yeah. especially if you've got like you know work with your pre-delay just so oh, yeah. we're talking reverb so it's yeah. like actually you get a like, nice slap back yeah that's, that's really great, nice so what is that like did they used to do that trick or that's just i don't know if just, that came that's from just something that when you know mixers were just mono left or right yeah, yeah. early beatles stuff where drums is all the isn't that early whatever. beatles stuff like all hard left and right it was only to create separation for a final mono bounce like i, I read that no, it was not like i might have this wrong but it wasn't like a sort of let's make the full use of stereo it was like let's make the full use of two track so that we can re retain separation between some elements and that final like bounce down yeah. and ultimately it would be mono. Maybe it isn't, I don't know. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, when I remember different kind of thing, but going up to like 24 bit and 48K working and all these arguments of you've got to get up to like 192 kilohertz or whatever. And it's just like, no, CD has sounded good enough. <laughs> Yeah, forever. But no one's ever said, "No, oh, this is lo-fi." Yeah, like a well-recorded CD like, thing. Absolutely. I've actually just about, I've just dropped this down to forty-eight kilohertz, so this is but, being recorded at forty-eight k. Yeah, so well, that's, that's video rate. Twenty-four. So that's kind of normal. Yeah. Um, but where I noticed that is, I used to like stem mixing. I still do. So I take these big kind of DAW productions, have a drum stem, a bass stem, pads, leads, 
You mean everything vocal. bounced down to, to a stereo? Eight tracks or yeah. less. Simplify your yeah. 192 channel mix. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And But then going up with that, because you then might turn that stem down 10 dB in the mix or whatever else, the kind of headroom of the 24-bit, that's the only time I really started to hear the difference. Do you mean that's that 24-bit didn't we, collapse? It just sounds, I guess because there's more range when you turn it down, it's somehow you're not losing that bottom layer of information. Right. Okay. The background room reverb in the bass stem or whatever. If Now, if you're going to turn that bass down 20 dB, that thing that was 20 dB under the bass is now 40 dB yeah, yeah. under. And it seemed to retain like that 3D depth kind yeah. of thing more. And maybe that's what that tape thing is you mentioned with the Beatles of it. It makes full use of all the available kind of technology the headroom and headroom of the side. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense, actually. And then squishing of... all four tracks into one strip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, you know... I don't have the science of tape to know whether that's actually true or not. <laughs> it's kind of the same with um, speakers. If each instrument had a speaker it would be infinitely better because that speaker could just work at replicating this is the bass talk. and just the guitar. Once that's summed into the thing and it's been thrown all over the place with these mad waveforms mm. of everything going on at once, it's having to work yeah, yeah. way more. Would you get... Basically, this is a dream that I had where it was talking about the... Because I've been playing with the Moog One, like very fortunate to like have some unfettered access to that monster. Yeah. And it's three synths in one. And I was thinking like... I just sort of because it's you know it's a beautiful and sort of extreme device. I was thinking like a speaker how, each would be like, amazing. Well, so yeah, this was what I was thinking. I was like, in that I literally did this thought experiment. I was like, you've got a warehouse, and you've got like the luxury of like five full like you know line array stack systems <laughs> in that warehouse, right? And then you've got three Moog ones, and then you've got like the System Fifty Five, like just there for like bass like doing some drums like you'd patch yeah, up some like drums stuff. or some percussive stuff and like literally you'd have like two beat step pros or you know, you'd have a beat step pro and a key step for each moog one it's right. sort of like yeah i mean obviously yeah we should be using the sequencer in the moog one but just hear me out and then you've got like you sort of three key steps in a little like thing and then you've got the beat step for drums and you can sit in this sort of like, you know, imagine like in a, you're operating a crane and you're on like a little sort of like platform halfway up the building. And you just from that position, just like make these things like fly and sing. But like each one has their own PA system. Imagine if each voice had its own, so the bass was its own like 50 sub stack. And then, you know, like what? Would that sound? It would sound amazing. I mean, that, yeah, it's exactly what you were saying. It's like everything could have its own voice. You know, I, I saw. Um, Finally, you keep talking about Moog, but at Moog Fest, I saw Sun Sun O. Oh, I've what? seen them. It's amazing. Have you seen it's them? amazing experience. <laughs> so That's good. basically what I'm talking about. Is like they take effect. their own PA system yeah. to every gig. I mean, what was your take they've, on they've like, that, that experience? Like per person as well. Their yeah. move, is it a little fatty or a Voyager they've got? I think they had, um, they had uh, are they prodigies? I think they're, they're prodigies. Them, yeah, it could they're be. Like old, they're older modes. They're like sort of 80s, early 80s modes. Yeah, but the fact that's got its own... So know, can you, two four by four so don't know, or, please describe what is the, the setup. Like, uh, you've got, you know uh, better than I do because it's all um, guitar amps. <laughs> I think it's Matthew Shaw put, was the person to t- turn me on to Sun. He said that it's 
it's like a metal band, like a doomcore metal band without a drummer. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute, there's no like thrashy metal stuff. There's like, just no room left. It's like it's like doom ambient. So it's just droning fuzz and the the singer does very kind of like throat singy, looks like yeah. a monk with his cloak up. <coughs> kind of mysterious um <coughs> I don't know, vocal stuff, all sorts of weird vocal techniques. Trumpet at one point. They're on yeah. a trumpet through a ton of reverb and it just kind of appeared from nowhere but it's like this smog of distorted guitar and synth and the bass is the mug so it's just huge through the system when i saw it when i saw it they were like there's i think i, can't, I did count it at the time and i can't remember how many it was but there were like at least 14 four by 12s yeah. on the stage you know and where you know like um justice will have have got fake ones <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah these are all real <laughs> and they're on and yeah. working you know and so and i think I assume that they did like, um, they had like a crossover, probably like a guitar crossover, so that they've got like bass stacks dealing with the bass. And yeah, then- they bring their own custom built PA as well. And I'm not sure quite how that works. I think it, uh, like in terms uh, this of what's was also going through the PA as yeah. well as the guitar stuff or. Like their vocals, maybe. Yeah, as with um, Phil Curtis Hall, live engineer and performs at Blue Wolf 7. He was chatting to the sound guy at the gig. Amazing. Um, or knew of him, I think. We, I should have, we should have stayed and had a conversation about uh, how what, what was going to happen. What have yeah. you done? Um, I I didn't, we were by the desk as well. I can't remember like how many channels were running. Because you'd imagine they don't need that PA. There's that much amplification that, other than maybe the voice, they don't yeah. really need much. But, I mean, it's a lot of it's the same note as well. Mm. They'd maybe come up a minor third every now and then. And not all at the same time. You're like, oh, one of the guitars has moved up a couple of tones or half a ton or whatever. And then they'd all kind of glide in yeah. to meet them. Because basically, am I right in thinking what they're doing? They've basically got like an open chord tuned on the guitar or something. Like, I feel like he was hardly touching yeah, the other Yeah, there's barely any playing. And, and it, effectively, you've got two people wearing like doom monk outfits. They put so much smoke on stage that you basically can't see the band anymore. Yeah. And it's so loud that like we're we're reaching the point where it sort of stops being sound and starts just being feelings yeah yeah, it's an experience it's a physical it's visceral yeah i used to try and show everyone in working music education i'd show them and they're like i'm not really into that much just go see them yeah yeah. if you get to see them just go and experience it mark rothko painting it's like it doesn't work if it's this big you gotta go see the actual yeah you might not want to put the album on or whatever but just go and experience it yeah but it's that thing of you know, if you've got a drum pattern and it's, you know, peaking at a certain volume, it's dynamic. So the average level's nowhere near, let's say, 90 dB or whatever. Yeah. But Sono are just at 90 dB. Because <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just this huge drone sausage of, I mean, God knows how <laughs> much fuzz sausage. and stuff they're running. That's my new EP. <laughs> God knows how much fuzz is on it for them to barely touch and it keep going. I mean, people, you know, I imagine a lot of us have put a load of effects on a guitar, hit a chord, but after a minute or two, it does start to kind of tail off. But they, nah, they it goes a long time. And it? I don't know if they're fading. Maybe they be, between them, they're turning volume off and fading volume yeah, into yeah. effects so that between them, the kind of cumulative effect is a wall of sound. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the mode can just be wall of sound. Of course, just, yeah, yeah. That can just draw. But they were like, they would do things where they would sort of both at the same time, they'd be like, ah, oh, and then they would just slam the guitar and you would hear like the sound of like the, everything going completely 
like noise and atonal and then the guitars are almost like synchronized they would sort yeah. of like fall into line in a way that like when you see this that there's that experiment where people do where they put like i can't remember how this works but it's like a newton's cradle and then you put like a weight on it and if you push it everything sort of start all these little like things start like swinging out of yeah. line and then they all phase into yeah they like like lock into step with each other it basically was doing that but like with guitars there's it, a word there's some oscillator circuits that do that is it entrapment the word right chris sounds about chris right. meyer of learning mods are post about how some dual oscillator designs you know you get a detune finger and just a few cents off nice detune bass sound or whatever they will naturally just like the circuit will pull itself oh, i really? think it's called it might be don't know if it's entrapment or after quantum entanglement or something. <laughs> but it was that there are some circuits that will just nudge kind of in yeah a bit more i was like oh, that's interesting that's, yeah it's interesting it's like entanglement but what i mean they were just i had such because yeah it's not my sort of thing i don't listen to like doom drone yeah or anything like it's just not sort of a field of music i've ever like but that was like when i saw them i was like i get it I, yeah. I totally get why yeah. this is yeah, brilliant, yeah. and I love. I really enjoyed it. It was just hilarious. Like within the first minute, seeing the amount of people who left <laughs> the sort of arena that we were in, it was just like you've got to be willing to go with it, though. It's like the the, the minimal techno thing. There was a great Justice uh, interview at some point. It might have been Mixed Mag or something like that, and they were kind of slating on minimal techno for ages, a part of their career, and they eventually said with the right concoction of drugs but you could even take that out of the equation they were out one night somewhere and uh, then it clicked they were like, oh, it probably, it's it. probably Berlin it. on it they we were like it. yeah yeah the we fact were, you've we had a few disco biscuits and yeah. we got we got yeah, it yeah, finally yeah. like oh fair enough but you kind of just have to go and be open enough to go with it i think you listen Ooh. to like really really minimal techno mixes some of the minor artists or richie Horn to pick a big name or something like that the fact you haven't had a clap or a snare on two or four or a hi-hat for 20 minutes when that comes in that's the same elation for a crowd in a club as like the big melodic trance dj yeah, yeah. pretending he's jesus on stage yeah. that hi-hat just that it's just like yeah it's just like you've been given something the the suspense of it the thing that kills me is how hard i really i really struggle with creating arrangements that are that like um well paced like on a mm. linear timeline and a DAW. I feel like, so again, just having this conversation quite recently, literally over the weekend about, um, you know, making dance music like that, making that kind of music, like proper club music and like proper, 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 proper techno. Yeah. It's, I find, I can't, I'm, I'm in awe of people who can do that on a timeline in like non real time. Do mm. you know what I mean? As in like, to have the sort of, because obviously you're just like counting, you just count like eight, base eight. It's yeah. like, yeah, but but having the sort of, um, being able to sort of stand back far enough and sort of see the flow of the track, because exactly as you're saying, to know that this will really be the moment to elevate it and to know exactly what to place and exactly how to structure that. It, I find it really difficult because I feel yeah. like you can only really do that when you've, lived in the moment of the track so you almost have to like go back to the very start of the track every time you play it so that you really establish the proper context for that thing that you're bringing in yeah it's that it's just the difficult of the linear timeline versus just having a table of gear and just doing it in real time and then it all happens naturally because you're like oh i need a hat and you just go bang there it is Um, yeah i mean you could kind of mimic it with you know crank the speakers up and just have like a launch pad based controller yeah and just be like, that's where that feels like it needs to go. And do like a dub mix for your... You like, could tune. even... I mean, I've never done this, but you could even start by... 
I mean, you'd have to turn them down a bit because they'd be mastered and your track wasn't. But thinking if you're in Ableton, you could even just kind of play around with a couple of tunes first, mix into your drums. If you could cross over to your thing and then you're in that feeling. That oh, might, wow. That might like be actually, a, like, play some, do play a, a set just, and just then for, Just for 10 or 15 minutes, play a couple of tunes that you like that are good references, sound-wise, style-wise, tempo, whatever. Mix into your drums. Like, that's where that feels like. That's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. Just like, well, like, it's the equivalent of doing, like, mix referencing, but you're almost doing sort feel of feel referencing. Yeah, yeah. Like, get yourself in the mood. I think it was D. Ramirez did a thing for Future Music years ago um, about dropping tracks that you like onto the top track of your DAW and just taking its structure. Yeah. And he was like, and nothing else. He goes, it's club music. It's all kind of the same anyway. Yeah, yeah. But he put one of his own tunes in and he was like, we don't all have this luxury, but he's saying, I've played this over the last year live. And I know that that really works. Just dropping out for two bars and coming back, but then 16 later going into the proper break. Yeah. So he goes, so I'm going to mirror that in my arrangement. Yeah. And I think he just had drums at that point. So he'd kind of scattered the drums out roughly the same, but then just took the reference track out. It was like, right, now we're, I've just got a framework. Mm. Like building scaffolding or yeah. a foundation before you're building. But that's like using loops. I used to pull stuff out of like Vengeance sample packs that was like a full drum loop. But then I'd start adding in little one shots that might inspire a bass line or some chord hits or whatever. Mm. And I'd just take the loop out. But yeah. I've got, that's put me in the moment. It's a two bar drum loop or something. Mm. It's a great way of working. Yeah, it is a good. That's and a if good. you make all your own loops as well, you can then just, I mean, I'm, I'm not against leaving those loops in do yeah, what you've yeah. got to do I don't think there's a thing as cheating by using samples or anything but if you're making your own loops as well almost like a like a box of tricks or like a little inspiration box or a I don't know something that you've got that just works or hmm. that's interesting yeah that is a good idea having these like almost you see a lot of sample packs like this now and they sell well because they're effectively selling dreams this kind of song starter pack where it's like if you, you know, just you were, take, to, you were talking about the fact yeah, you don't do those anymore no, no, they yeah. sell dreams a little too successfully yeah, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. You, you you take you know here's some drums and some bass loops and everything else that you can piece together like a jigsaw for a track and they work here's like 10 edm song starters or whatever yeah. but if you've got that of your own ideas then you're kind of off. Yeah, it works well. I'd like, and that, I keep saying this, but it's it just actually something I've been thinking about. But like, I was talking about this the other day, shit, um, and it was that whole idea of like um, having because we were talking actually about just making weird sounds on synths, and it's like have a sound design day and then have a writing mm. day. You know, it's well, we talked. I've talked a lot about this, but like yeah. separating the sort of sound design and. And the writing process, you know, that's something that Zoe Blade as well talks. She talks yeah. loads about yeah, that, yeah. And, and so rightly so, where it's like, you know, she has like a basic template in Reason, which is just all like almost a chip tune layout. Yeah. And then, you know, she'll just make the tune and then be like, right, now I go to the A100. And then, you know, she's Yeah, like, and she's posting she's great spent, videos of like, like here's a bass drum that's this filter res oscillating. Yeah, like really complex sound design, up. which is using the best use of the modular. Yeah. Um, because, and, I, I, and it's so right, because it is just like, you know, if you try to go to the modular for sound design inspiration during the writing process, I think it's an all or nothing. I think if you're, if you're still trying to work on a computer, I feel like it's just too many, because there are an infinite amount of options. You just... You're just never going to get anything done. Like you've got to write 
the thing first and then do sound design. Well, you don't have to. Because no, as no. we've said, yeah, and as you know, it's like the sound is the track in the sense yeah. of like the ambient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's just to make this point that like you can separate the two. And I think it's probably a more healthy way of using the modular as a sound design tool. Uh, and that's what you've been doing. But that's where well, simple, like, yeah, I mean, but that's where simple modules work and stuff as well. Like if you've got this killer bass thing, like I really want to make a track out of this. And I imagine that's a point a lot of people get to. Like I've got a great synth line or weird percussive thing or drone. I need to make a track. If you have to stop that creative process to kind of technically make the next thing, right, I'm going to make my own kick drum. Yeah. You're out of that headspace. Even if it's well, just... You probably have to unpatch even the modular if, as well and you scream yeah, yeah, I mean, even if, you, you know, big, big system and it's just a couple of patch cables away, it's not just going, oh man, I wish there was just a kick through this or, you know, whatever rhythm the kick's playing. Or if you have to stop to find a way of using like a divider and a logic module to make the rhythm you've got in your head, yeah, you're out right. of that headspace instantly. It's not like the module is not the best way of doing those things, but it is, as you know, it is a powerful source of sounds. But I think it's... It's like that scaffolding point. It's like you need the scaffolding just to, just so that when you're like two hours into making that bass sound, you're like, yeah, what was that? What was the tune again? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably where the hardware stuff isn't. Say people that just use hardware make less music. I'm sure it's up and down for everyone, but that's probably the downfall of it. Is just that there's nothing there to give you the next bit. I've had so yes. many yeah, bits yeah, where yeah. And, and well, okay, yeah, band on. environments are on my own way, just like, just throw a shit like a 16th nut shaker in and just that, yeah, it just yeah. gives that, and it's like, right, you're then inspired again and you keep yeah, yeah. going yeah. and you just kind of keep working. Well, conversely, I would say that like, when you're working with hardware only and you're like, well, shit, I can't put in a 16th shaker because I haven't got one. Then you think, well, all right, what I could do is change the bass part. And, yeah. and re-inject some in and that, that's like getting that circle on has been like like for the little bit I have used it has been really interesting because I've been forced I'm, I'm, I no longer have the luxury of just shoving things on the pile of Sonics yeah. I have to actually just work within what I've got so you work more like a band in that sense you're like well you know we've only got I can't just bring another guitarist on stage now we're going to have to just like find a way to change this up musically and I, I work harder to like change parts and evolve parts and make the baseline change and the elements change. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you can keep adding layers, and that's interesting to a point, but I'm sure there's loads of music we all like where it really wasn't made on that much. Yeah. And they're just absolutely rinsing the gear. That's an interesting point you say, where if you want to put like a 16th note shaker in and you don't have the sound or the function to sequence it, what can you do to the other parts to give a more busy rhythmic yeah. feel or yeah. whatever that's that's i think that's where the kind of technical and creative crossover because it's not just a, a line of one or the other i don't think of i'm either what, being like, creative and writing or i'm stopping and i'm being technical and, yeah you certainly have to be both because you have to be technical yeah. to like get get them equipment to do what you want but i think they those things and that um i mentioned having like a box of tricks of your own sounds earlier learning all those things I think for me at least is almost something I do separate to any kind of writing. Like if I have run out of tracks, I can't add any other sequencing on the modular. What can I do to make it busier? Well, you're not going to learn how to use your module right in the process of writing that song mm. or jamming. So I think having, I think Liam Howlett said in an interview once he, he had, was it sampling Sundays or something he said, he's like, that's when I just sit and sample records. Mm. 
that's what I do on a Sunday. That's interesting. And it's almost like, I know Morgan Page who's done a lot of dance stuff and pop writing and whatever, having like admin days, you know, it's kind of spring cleaning the desktop of the computer and, and days that you back up and days that you whatever. So that, and you know, it might not be a strict on a Monday I do this, but having a day to do all that, that doesn't then cross over into tonight I'm going to try and write a track or yeah. I'm feeling like I want to play my gear or... It's interesting he has sampling days. Like, I wonder what he does... How does he catalogue those? What does he do with them? I, I mean, it might not have even been Liam Powell. It might have been someone else. But you do think of, like, you look at those track deconstructions of, like, you know, Prodigy. Well, those remakes of those are and crazy. You're like, and you're like, how, how long did it take you to find the bits? Because it's, it's the collage. It's the snipping up the collage aspect of it. And you're like, well, if you're having to, like, dip into other records to find that magical slice, like, how much time does that take? Or is it just... Is it just that fact that now that we see it done, it seems like magic, but obviously, you know, maybe it didn't take him that long. Maybe he did do it all on a Sunday and he was like, these all work together and they just magically did and now you've got to yeah. smack my bitch up. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it amazes me with the, the, the hip-hop guys and I've played in bands and still work for a few of these guys that when they're just sampling records and you'll hear something and you think, oh, it's just an eight-bar jazz loop and you put some drums over it and it's got this nice lazy hip-hop feel. But it might be four different tracks running and you're yeah. like... Well, none of those jazz records recorded to a click. They certainly weren't all in the same key to start with. And it's, just, it's almost just a completely different mindset. I've never kind of got into that. Of, mm -hmm. I'm just going to rip a part of a sample. And it might be more creative than that. It might be more like the Prodigy thing, just chopping chunks up. And you hear bits of records and it might just be really basic filtering. It's almost just this kind of naive approach, not going into it. And it's not to say everyone making hip hop doesn't know what they're doing. I don't mean it like that, but have just having this approach of, well, I'm just going to do that and I'm going to filter that out and I want some low end. So here's mm. a jazz record, but you're only hearing everything below 200 hertz that was yeah. in that record and I'll make that work. Yeah. I've never worked like you've that. Never, like, you mean you've never collaged to that degree? No. Where it's like you're always just making stuff. No, and scratch. I've tried to make hip hop or when I used to do, certainly. It's not something I've tried more recently and it sounded rubbish it's yeah. nothing like what it's they were doing it's just a completely different part of electric it's a different skill set of electronic music yeah. is the the ear for the collage and for how to assemble and mix it efficiently just like learning to produce like edm drums is like a somewhat specific skill set you know yeah although the, the, obviously those skills but it's are like making crossover, but. flying lotus style lazy hip-hop you can't just say oh well it's all slightly out of time the hi-hats are slightly back the snares are slightly Jay forward drums as well. yeah dilla drums and stuff there's more to it than than that and it's like the um i used to talk about how i really like the humanized function mm. on midi um same friend that's doing the um for playing everything on a duke ellington record and remaking it he was like yeah but that's not real he goes if we humanize something the drummer isn't, he goes, all right, there are these micro shifts that are happening. Well, the, drummer, the drummer isn't doing like the notator 52% swing or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's not no, actually and, what And he was saying that, you know, the human eyes is just truly random. It's a little, some notes a little bit back, some a little bit forward. He goes, what's happening is there might be rushing the hi-hat and that gives it a certain feel. Right. Which is, was it Luke Viber that's doing that live with a drummer? Uh, Squarepusher is doing like live drummer with like Adam Betts, like the sort of mad yeah. like, drum and bass drummer. Is it James Holden? James Holden was... Oh, yeah, That's so yeah, James of, Holden, yes. Yeah, is doing it's actually... Using his max patch that, yeah, that takes the drummer's timing. But it's like learning feel. Yeah. And yeah. it's the same thing with that flying loads. You can't just say, oh, if you pull the snare early, it'll give it this vibe. There's way more to it than yeah. that. And playing in hip-hop bands, I used to play with an electronic kit, and we would put um, 
silence before the sample. Oh, he told me that. So that. I might be playing a sample on the hat that's it's 20 milliseconds behind. Because so you, you, like, you were like, you can't, a drummer cannot be told to play late, like, well, as such. I, like, to a degree, and people can listen to this, this nearly out, this tough crowd is the group, the album. I think we've got it. But we spent like six, seven years trying to play this stuff at this band. So it's been me on drums all this time, the same bass player, and we've kind of got it live. We used and to so play. this is to make stuff that sounds slopped, like in an intention. Yeah, and like, in, in, in enough, yeah, and not just like, oh, they're just trying to play wonky. And there's bands doing it. It's not to say it's impossible, but it took us a long time with Electric Kit and then saying that doesn't sound right. It, it kind of sounds out of place with the rest of the live musicians. Going to an acoustic kit, how can we get that feel? Uh, Colin Sutton, the bass players, amazingly could just be wherever you wanted him to be. Yeah, You know, one of the rappers that... Maybe it's kind of less musically inclined, but they'd just say simple statements like, you just make the bass late. And he just, he would, he'd just sit right there. And you, but then that makes me feel different. And I'd, to start with, I'd start edging back to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, we're slowing down now because he's trying you're to like, play behind you and you're trying to meet him. As, and it, you've just been able to do it. But it, it's worked. That's proper like rubbing your belly and patting your head stuff, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It's finally kind of... So but, you just literally made, you made the samples, you added 20 milliseconds of silence we to the try and then play in time. I, yeah, to, that's how like, we start experimenting with this kind that's of stuff. Idea, and one of them would sit with an NPC as I was playing the acoustic kit and I'd even just have his keys in his pocket and he'd just kind of throw his keys up and down on two and four. And we'd be like, I'd go away thinking this, it wasn't some deep analytical thought, but I'm like, he'd throw them too late and they'd come down after the snare. So you'd be like... So I need to make my left hand lazier, but Ooh. I can't have that affect the right hand and the kick because then the whole thing just like it actually just slows down. <laughs> so we spent. It's the first. It's, it's funny that the kind of statement for this tough crowd album is it's our debut and final album because oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've been through. We've had so many keyboard players uh, kind of come and go, and, and and that we just kind of we've all kind of had enough of it. Mm. We're all still friends. We, we're putting this album out. I think be out soon. There's vinyl. So what's it called? Pressed. Tough crowd is tough the, crowd is the group. Is the group. And what's the album called? Uh, debut and final album. <laughs> I don't know what the name is actually. We could have to put a link. In. I think there is one. There's a, a great album it. cover that What's I did, it? I proofed. But we'd, we'd record everything. It's weird how it came together. The rappers would record it all because we'd just jam for years, just mic in the room, maybe one on the drum kit, a couple in front of some amps or something. Really, and all the recordings of that, they've managed to kind of work their magic on making that sound good. Yeah. It's got a good feel for it as well. That If, if I was recording, it was like, right, we're coming in and we're having a day recording drums. It just wouldn't have had that yeah, yeah. feel. Too precise. But, you know, you'd go, you'd go back in and they'd say, oh, three hours into last Wednesday, you nailed this wicked loop for like a minute and moved on. Can we do that? But he could show us it because he could yeah, wind back yeah, and yeah, you're yeah, like, oh, fair, once yeah. we've heard it, because, yeah, yeah. you know, you have these jam situations where like, yeah, it's gone. Mm. But they'd capture it. And the way the albums worked is there's lots of them treating us like a record they're sampling. Hmm. So it might be that they've taken several chunks and made an eight bar loop. And we'd have to relearn that and play it live. And sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't feel quite right. Um, we've got rougher recordings that we think kind of feel better. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that's the one, but just but it sounds cable like wasn't plugged in right or yeah, yeah. something we can't fix. It is a really good exercise. It's like you were saying about faking the sort of room-like thing is making stuff sound like samples. It's like That's the sort of Boards of Canada thing of 
print it to tape and probably print it to tape again and then again yeah, yeah. and like just to make it sound like you sampled something even though you didn't um and you know getting around the sort of being able to release records and not get uh, a lawyer knocking <laughs> on your door in like two years when some sharp-eared musicologist is like that's also what that stem mixing process did though we're, we're circling back quite nicely here, like we've planned it yeah we did, um, we did, we did, if yeah. you make a, a um you know, for me, if I stem my drums down to just a stereo, that's all the drums, that's all the bass, that's all the whatever. Those little bits of background reverb and everything are in those stems. Yeah. There's no thinking about, I want to add some, well, I mean, you can add whatever you want, but it just becomes, if you then compress that or they all run through a mix bus or whatever, they're just there. But it would be if you recorded it. If you record that guitar in that room, all right, you, you might really close mic and amp, but that's just the sound. It's built in. It's that commitment, and yeah. I think. And it's not to say that I won't go back and tweak stuff. You might be doing that mix thing. Oh, man, that hi-hat's just too loud. So then it's awkward because you then go back to the other project, you dip it, bounce it back out. So you then start to question, should I just keep working in one project? But I really don't like it. I think the end results are far better for me when I do a mix. I, I do mix as I go. It's not like this. It's totally rough. Make really, And then stop and make really good stems. Just be like, today or this hour or this session these drums are going to be killer. I'm just going to make the best drum stem out of what I've got that I and can. And then you do flatten it down. And then flatten down stereo. Yeah. And I might go back. I might have got it right, wrong. Okay. You listen the next day and say, like, oh man, the snare's just... When you were saying when you master your own stuff, you've got to master from a stereo mix. You don't allow yourself the luxury of doing it. No, I don't want to look at anything. Yeah. I don't like mastering my own stuff yeah, anyway, but it's, it's a necessity yeah. at yeah, times. Yeah. Um, but, but I like that distance as well. If I do a mix and I start making stems and then I sleep on it and then I do a stem mix and then I sleep on it and then I do a master, I feel like that gives me enough distance from each bit of the process yeah. to be that bit more objective. Now, it's not to say I'm, I'm the best at any one of those stages, but that's how I try and force in yeah, yeah. some yeah. objective view. I mean, I've, I've had to do quick stuff where you're like, I'm just going to, that's it. Just gonna... Well, every video you make is basically, you're doing that. I mean, we all have to master our own videos. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. quickly. Yeah. But music, most of it, I mean, it's a luxury thing as well. I'm sure we'd all like a budget to go, oh, man, I really want them to master it. To get Nathan Moody oh, so... to master it. Like, yeah. yeah. My, uh, I would very much like him to just do it. It'll be good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Nathan wants others mm. to master his work as well. Um, but we don't. There's not. It's not always possible. Yeah, yeah. Like you say with time and time and money, and it's like, yeah, of course. The mastering of other people's work though works because you don't care about any of the little details. Now, yeah. it's not to say you're a horrible person that doesn't respect their work, <laughs> but you may have achingly spent a full weekend nailing that bass sound. So you're not going to take that notch out of the EQ because you're too yeah. precious about it. You just have this overarching view and just go. Oh, there's a problem in that area or that needs enhancing or whatever and you just kind of yeah, you do it you don't care yeah if you've you know talked about these drums if if the snare was made on the modular and it took me four hours to make this patch and it's all dynamic and moving i'm not going to start eqing bits out as much because mm. you're going to be like no it, it sounds great and it's like well someone else just go nope take that out i really need to do the whole mix referencing thing that's the sort of uh, everyone says that's the most important thing and i realize it yeah. is because it's it's that thing of getting used to like smells in a room. You get used to the sound that you've created and you think it's normal when it's not. What's hard with that is you're referencing mastered tracks. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it hard. Is. Yeah. That is very you know, like true. my mix just isn't slamming and it's like, well, that's, that's a sausage dance master. <laughs> and all right, I'm not completely against stuff being squashed. You know, that's stylistically a lot of the music we listen to, but 
you're listening to very dynamic open mixes at times and you're like, yeah, it just doesn't hit the same. Hmm. Have you tried any of the match EQ plugins? I've just they're interesting. I've got um the equivocate, the like okay. newfangled, like even tied sort of newfangled plugins, which I wanted to basically lucky to have those and then was um just thinking because I've got to master this thing myself, I'm like, right, actually I'm probably gonna try use these because the mainly with the equivocate thing, it's like it uses the Mel curve, which I've never heard of. Like I think we're all supposed to know what that is, but that's basically the sort of um it's like bands of the eq that are chosen i'm gonna get this wrong but basically in a sort of the frequencies that the human ear responds to it's or a that, bit that like is, the back frequency response it's, it's, it's more like natural a, it's more of a naturalistic curve yeah, but when you scoop stuff out so. it just kind of sounds a little duller or brighter but without being right. freaky and harsh and getting that like real like singing ringing frequency thing um, so basically, and that's got a match EQ thing on it. So I was going to, it's um, really, it never works like the, the kind of dream of it for me, really naive, not much experience. I thought, oh, well, if I take this person's track and match EQ, analyze it. that in the match EQ and then apply that curve to mine, it'll sound the same. Of course it won't. Cause it's all totally different. You know, you've yeah, got different elements. You haven't made it out of the same building to- block. Totally different. It's a really good learning curve. <coughs> logic does it give you like, does it get you in the ballpark? You, you see that. Yeah. You can see it. And yeah. you're like, especially low end when you can't, you know, small back bedroom or something, you can't hear it or you don't have a system that yeah. replicates it. You're like, why is there like 50 points of spiky EQ on my mix to make it sound like this record that I like. Yeah. It gives you like, even if that's as far as it goes, you're like, well, I know there's something wrong. I yeah. don't know what it is. But there's something wrong there. And Logic's got one by default. It's just one of the kind of default EQs is a match EQ. It's been there for years. And it's great just to put it in and be like, and certainly with the dance stuff, like I was saying about when there's 32 bars of just drums, just analyze your drums against those drums. And be mm. like, all right, that's all jagged in the top. That must be my hi-hats that are off. Yeah. It's really good yeah, learning tool. Good. I've never, I've never used it and actually applied it. Gone, okay, then I'll leave the match EQ on. Yeah, but it's really good. For but you. yeah, it's always been like a marker of problems. It's an interesting tool. I mean, we're talking electronic music, but if you're doing something as a band and you can find all these multi-track stems of Zeppelin or whatever, just go. Does my guitar sound like Jimmy Page? Well, mm. no, it's not Jimmy Page playing it. No, is it the same guitar? But again, just be like, oh, all right, gives you an idea of what these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching a video of Brian May like deconstructing Bohemian Rhapsody, um, which is amazing as yeah, well. Just yeah. just just hearing the construction process. I mean, even the twenty four track is already well bounced. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of stuff that's been bounced down on that. But um, you talk about how Freddie Mercury could sing so accurately that he would get phase cancellation on this double track. double track. I was like thinking of Zeppelin. Uh, the reason they sound big is because. Well, Jimmy Page's guitar tone's thin. You think Zeppelin, are, wow, they're free. All right, four piece with a singer, but three piece and they sound huge. Bonham sounds huge. Yeah. But that's really the only thing in that production that they've that let big. be big. Yeah, yeah. And that's this kind of a lesson to learn. And again, speaking to Phil Hall at Blue Wolf 7, it does a lot of live sound, big world tours and stuff. And it'll tell that it's high passing guitars up to 200 hertz. And I'm like, you're cutting half of the root note yeah, out. It's yeah. like, you just don't need it. Yeah, yeah, and that it, kind of crude live response just yeah. That's why I'm like again mixing this thing. I've been, uh, I sort of was reading like on that sounds on sound on sounds like top mixing tips of like it was like Mike Senior article from like mm. few, like ten years ago, but it's a good one. It's just like here are the it's a listicle um, before listicles, but um, he's like you know here are the top mixing mistakes. And he's like yeah you can 
he said a lot of the time people aren't high passing enough like we know the importance of high passing because you know there's so many yeah, things there's tons of sub bass and, and yeah. shit like you know but he said you can go far further than you think that you might be able to and the mistake to do body. with that is and I spent 10 years doing this is doing the EQ while you've soloed it. Yeah. Because you hear it. Yeah. You get as far as kind of the root note of the instrument and you start cutting it out and go, oh, I'm losing weight and body or bass. If it's not soloed, you go way higher. Yeah. Before you hear it and then just back off a touch. Yeah. So that's yeah. always kind of been always my thing EQ with in that context is. Yeah. with it, everything else playing. Because there's also the weird psychoacoustic things where like almost another part sort of fills out. Do you know what I mean? Where you almost yeah. feel like you do hear that, what is missing. Um, yeah. If a bass part is playing, you know, in correctly, blah blah blah. And being all the effects and layers being way more heavy-handed with EQ is a nice one. I was listening to um, Ian Shepard's mastering show on the way up. Yeah, yeah. Their latest podcast is uh, mastering crappy mixes, and they'd kind of well, say, I, I could do with listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of saying, well, you can't get a good result from a bad mix. But they're talking about one of their pet hates is um, not DSing the reverb. So you send the vocal in that's quite sibilant and essay, yeah. and if that hits the reverb and you get that splash of shh, yeah. and they're saying that's a pet hit. They're kind of going through pet hits and mix yeah. fixes that they've always fed back to clients. I, and I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And there's another p producer that pitches up their vocals an octave before it hits the reverb. That was a trick I was like, it does sit quite well. It makes yeah. everything chipmunk. Obviously, you put an octave shift on a on just vocal. so that the the reverb isn't ble like bleeding into it's the just same frequency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're getting out of each other's way. Basically. And pre and post EQ on a reverb, the pre changes how that reverb responds. The post EQ on a reverb is the color of the reverb. Because hmm. yeah. you, you could just well, send something into. I, it. I have been EQing reverb quite heavy handedly ever since yeah. I read. I might have been an Ian Shepherd. No, it was. Uh, I can't think of the dude's name, basically, but um, it was an article about the sort of the Abbey Road reverb trick, uh, yeah. which is basically, I think it's like high passing it at six kilohertz right. and then and then low passing. It might, I'll get it wrong, the frequency band. But it's basically it's like band passing yeah. quite to a quite major degree, the, the reverb. And I've, I've, I basically started doing it on everything because what it allows you to do is put loads of reverb and it still yeah, doesn't yeah, overpower. Yeah. It's still just, it, it, things sound reverberant and then like, you know, angelic, which is what I like to have. Yeah. But I'm not like, I'm mixing to a blurry mess. Yeah, like, but it's like the, well, the ping pong delay in so Ableton. Much. You turn it on by default, it's band passed in. Yeah. Sounds great. Every time I use it, I'll just fire a little send in, get a little ping pong going, and you're like, it just sits. But that's because, because by it's default it comes in. Yeah, you're right, past. actually. Yeah, it is. But you think of the reverb thing, yeah. you're sending a whole drum mix in. And then what could you possibly then, go wrong? <laughs> say you then take a load of low end out afterwards. That reverb has still had to work and respond to all the low end in the bass drum. You cut all the low end before your reverb plug-in, or it could be modular, you just high pass filter and then it doesn't have to respond to it. Yeah. So it's like corrective on the way in, colour on the way yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Like having all that energy bouncing around in the sort of yeah. the algorithm does things. Yeah, and again, yeah. like Ableton's default reverb has that. You've got that low and high cut. Yeah. That's on the way in. Yeah, that's true. And so, I yeah, always like roll a lot more low off that than so I would. So do you say you EQ before the reverb or after? Dep Both sometimes. Yeah, it depends what it sounds like. Most plugins I, I use tend to have it built in. So I'm not going like EQ, reverb, EQ. Just use the, all of Valhalla. 
Funnily with Modular, I picked up, I think you've got four of them now. There's music things, simple EQs. Mm. It's treble bass and like a tone uh, tilt, you know, yeah. more high, less low. And I wrap them around all my effects. Yeah, so nice. I have two around yeah. the ZDSP. Right, posh bastards. And they're just <laughs> right enough. You can just... Well, it's but not no, a live no. case. It's not a live case, but because... Well, that would be even... make a lot more sense to have it in a live case. Yeah, yeah. yeah but because... So ZDSP, big, nice halls of Valhalla reverb, and the DLD, which I love as delay. Did you... I use the tonal sh- tilts in the feedback path because there's no tone control on yeah. the DLD. And I use the treble and the bass on the ZDSP. It's usually on the way in. Yeah. I'll go into same the sort of trick, Same trick, really, but yeah. it makes a lot of sense to do it. And you've just saw it's, it's buying, for me, it's buying f- almost freedom to just go, yeah, ton of reverb yeah, on yeah. that. Exactly right. It's and like it a still sounds fine. Of, yeah, it still sounds fine. Yeah. But the, um, oh, who was it? I saw someone has, and this is literally a module, I was like, why does nobody make this? Is a 35 hertz high pass stereo in and out Eurat module. So you can just high pass your whole mix. I was like, Hallelujah. Like, because stupid bloody mixing desk designers, like all the mixers are all designed for guitars and for bands where it's yeah. like 100 hertz. It's like yeah, 100 hertz is no good to me. Like I need 35 or 20, you know, really. It's like where I've had like loads of problems from just sending massive subby mixes into big PAs. Um, and if someone's made it, someone just like a 2 HP mix cleaner. Um, I can't remember who it was. Oh, I'll try and find it and link to it. But yeah, it's like, Eugenius. We were on about that with mastering, though. I think we were talking about high passing and that, you know, you just put a low-end roll off at 30 35. hertz, 35, 30 hertz, whatever. Wasn't that what Jeremy Blake was saying, where he was like, I just put a 35 hertz because I watched that video where the guy says, was it Jeremy? Or, like, it someone is Jeremy. Uh, who said, like, yeah, um, I just high pass everything at 35 hertz because I watched the video with some, like, Berlin techno producer who said, just do that. But and most, it, it will, yeah, you don't need anything else much. But a lot that. of PA systems aren't replicating 20 hertz. No. Your no. monitor, your you know, spend I mean, a grand on a so pair no, of studios. So no <laughs> but if you know, you spend a grand on on some studio monitors, and if they're just too near fields, however good they are, they're probably rolling off from about forty. Yeah. So it's probably like, more. why even have mush? Yeah. Down there. Yeah. yeah. Rubbishy hi-fi stuff. I've always kind of gone for like seventy, eighty hertz is the kind of low end that most, I mean, technology's changed so much since then that most people have access to good listening stuff, but a rubbishy hi-fi would be like 70-ish. Yes. Yeah. So like that's where you kind of want the body of the kick to be. And then obviously harmonics above that will help it translate on systems that yeah. don't have bass. That is a thing, like, tuning drums as well is something that I've like, only relatively recently. <laughs> like, I, really... I went through a phase with that with production where I try and tune it all, but then you realise a lot of them don't have a strong tonal centre mm. long enough to hear it. Yeah, you know, if you think of making a kick, just take a sine wave, just an exponential decay to pitch. That's kind of you've got a kick. Yeah, but unless it that envelope comes down and sits yeah, on level mean, long it, enough, it doesn't actually hold. It doesn't them, actually like, hold. It's too pew pew. Yeah, it's but, same yeah, with that said, the eight hundred eight kick is very much tuned, isn't it? I mean, there's, what is that? What note is that? The default 808, depending on what year it's from. Yeah. And what year it is. And 808s, though, they're like, um, they're like hand-handmade symbols in that they all do slightly sound different. Well, and like, you can have a good one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can. Like, Matthew Shaw got his yeah. service by the, the, the guy that works from 808, and he was like, this is one of the best 808s I've seen for a while. Condition, the, the range of the decay control, the tuning, the kind of how soft or hard it was. It was just kind of in the middle and just had enough control. 
That, what I absolutely loved, I was talking to the chap who's doing, um, you know, System 80, who's doing like the yeah, sort of the 808. building, yeah. Um, and I was like, the kick decay, the kick isn't long enough. And he said, hand on heart, that is how long an 808 kick is. And trust me, it is. We're just used to compressors pulling the tail up. Correct. And we're also probably used to things that are just synthesized, faked, and we just call them an 808, but it's not what the 808 actually sounded like. And he said that, he says, no, trust me, I've done a lot of referencing. And also, and I, uh, he mentioned this, I was like, oh my God, of course. He's like, I listened to a lot of tracks from the early 80s that used 808s because... Far less processed. Well, because well, because they're the... Or it was the real one. They're the only way we can now hear what an 808 is supposed to sound like box fresh. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? As in, well, you could completely recreate it with the same... There were like 5% resistors in an 808. Yeah. There were 5% in 81 or eight, whenever it was, 83. But he's like, by only by listening to the records, they're like a time capsule of what the drum machine sounded like new because all of them, they started at 5% and now they're probably like 25% or something. You know, all the capacitors have dried out and everything's like gone wonky. Um, but it's, it's quite a fascinating idea that you can no longer, like there's a sort of movable... Like, whatever the 808 is, is amorphous. Like, yeah. it's a movable beast. Like, it doesn't mean the same thing to anyone. No, no. Um, and I, I, quite a lot of people, I think, just... That's like, with the, the drum brute, it's like, where you play with the Archeria drum brute, like, when we did that video, and it's like, you want to hear it through guitar pedal, because that's when it really comes alive. You process it. Yeah, because it's super raw. Yeah. And, and we haven't heard that. And the drum exactly brute, I remember idea. people saying, oh, it doesn't really sound that good. And it's like, these are just raw electronic drum circuits. Yeah. CR seventy eight, so all that kind of thing. It's they happened again with the endorphins, black noir. People yeah. said to me in that video, "Yeah, they're just not like they're not that big and heavy." And I'm like, "We're just they're not." The eight oh eight wasn't. None of these things were. Yeah, really. Like, but very much as we were talking about with the room reverb on drums, it's like you listen to it like the eight oh eight, like the TR eight through headphones. That's one thing. But go and take trust us. Trust me. Go to a go <laughs> yeah. to a PA. Plug it in put it into a room and now tell me that it sounds mm. digital and thin. It's like, no, 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 no. But yeah, but whether the pitch and the tolerance of things have gone out, but you need rooms like you've got to work with drum sounds to make them sound good. And especially, yeah, the drum brute is a real lesson in people perhaps not realising that the originals did that, not sound so amazing. That's the appeal of it for me, though. Yeah. I really like the Black Noir from Endorphins, the, the Euro drum module. I don't have a drum brute, but the appeal is that they are just raw drum mm. sounds. I like the fact yeah. of, I'll then start thinking about how I process it. But I'll, the, I'll record it through a bit of rat gear well, or yeah, whatever, yeah. Actually, rather than just plugging it in and going, that's good enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. It's the best analogy that I heard was the guy saying how um, treat you know drum machines like guitars, like an, like an electric kit. guitar. You, or a real kit, yeah. Like You never just hear it with a you know, mic. Yeah, you're not going to DI. Well, you do DI electric guitars, but... They go through these things called amps, which which have this kind of distorting characteristic and add room because they're played into a room. And going and back to amps, that's the sound of a guitar. The nice thing with reamping through effects, if you can record dry, and Celldweller's got a video of his guitar. He always DIs his guitar so he can almost clean up the playing before it goes into the effects. So he says, if I hit a chord, I see, and yeah. there's a right. like as he slides down yeah, the strings, yeah. he goes, I don't want to be amplified loud through the thing. Yeah, so you can snip all the cleanup. It's the same with, with drum. I mean, drums less so because you're only going to make them play what you want. But again, if you record it dry, 
EQ out that frequency that's going to make the distortion flip out. Hmm. There's been so much more. God, I've, I've had, I've been using that, um, oh, what is it? Uh, Sound Toys Crush. There's like a, there's like Destroy, oh, can't Decap- is it a decapitator? Not decapitator, which is which is great, but the, that's D sixteen, isn't he's it? He's got uh, no, no. Decapitator is the um, is that, that is sound toys. That's okay. their like sort of pento distortion and like really nice distortion. But um, what is they've got like a little crush monster? It's only got like two dials. Oh, when they've done like little free or cheap. Yeah, well, I used that on like my New York sort of drum bus on a couple of tracks, and it was like, and it it is just fierce. But yeah. it's also like. It's one of those plugins that's almost alive and it's doing different things depending on, I'm like, whoa, why is like my drums like 10 dB louder now? And there's like this sound has just like exploded. Um, and it's just the weird way like the plugin reacts and sort of like, it, it, like you almost need to put in a sort of bake in some pre-roll so that the, right, the plugin okay. like ramps up to its like full velocity. It's like heavy compression when yeah. the attack and release is too fast. And nothing's hit for a while that first hit yeah, just yeah. slaps really yeah, hard you I almost know, need to get shit. that out of the way yeah exactly right do you almost have to have like a sort of a pre-hit that's muted just so that like the device is it's like the auto gain on um like a handheld recorder i've been out you know just capturing foley you see people do it all the time like a zoom h6 in their hand or something yeah and it's got auto gain on which is great but you can't just go bang right there's that sound of me hitting that pipe you need to smack it a few times let it learn the gain yeah, just yeah. and then hit get the hit yeah I was looking at those like cassette field recorders, like Heinbach was sort of like, is it, he's the one who's like yeah. completely nuts for those things. And it's toy pianos as well. I've got a doc. I'm saying this cause I want people to pest me about it. When I went to Berlin for Superbooth, I've got kind of a documentary ish amount of footage on Heinbach that I just haven't had a chance to. Oh, wow. So don't, don't pester me for a week or two. <laughs> <laughs> Man's got videos but, to yeah, make. yeah, I've got, yeah, but we've, there's a lot of content. Yeah. Really interesting process, but I like the, the idea of the tape thing as a creative process of just baking something in. It's back to that committing to stems and everything yeah. thought again. Just, that, what a wonderful thought to do all your Foley recording to cassette first. Yeah. It's like, no, so doing all your sound, you know, all the things you would use like the zoom, you know, an F4 or something, but trying it on cassette as well. Like that's wicked. And also, then there's the fetishism of like you've, you. You must have looked into them, and you've seen his. But they're like, yeah, no, they're just really dictaphones and like they're just like where you've got like a cassette, like the sort of eighties approach, like when when you've got like phantom power mic pre's on a handheld cassette. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I want that. <laughs> Friend of Matthew uh, Charles, and he's got some Seattle Lombard stuff. He's playing around the Coco Qantas, the Loop and Delay. Ooh. He's got a dictaphone. And that thing just sings whenever, and it's got a mic on it as well. So it's the mic on the Coco Qantas to feed the input. And he'll just, you know, we picked up a kalimba. He held the dictaphone to the kalimba. We then held the dictaphone to the mic. And instantly it's just like you're in this world. Yeah. It's amazing. And you'd spend all day trying to replicate that. Yeah. From like hi-fi recording. You literally just like mush these things together and do it in 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was one of the old Casio sampling keyboards that he'd picked up on, on eBay or something recently. And again, it was just, well, there's the mic that the unit samples on. All right, hold the dictaphone to it then. Yeah. And then we did something on it and it's like, put it back in the dictaphone. Yeah. <laughs> you can just build these. It just instantly sits you in this world, but you've got to kind of, it's going back to this idea of having creative days and kind of admin days and technical days. You need to learn all that stuff because you could potentially ruin your work 
baking it in saturated tape beforehand. It just takes years as well. There's no, there's no fast way to do any of this. You mean to do it well or to yeah, like, like Heim the reader, me going, me trying to do what Heimbach does. Now that's not to say I'm even capable or would be in years of practice. He, he, obviously, it's personal. Heimbach's Heimbach, but if I tried to work like him with tape, I don't think my out, the kind of output would be as interesting. Mm. I'm sure he spent enough time really nailing that and knowing which dictaphone. It's like knowing which mic to put in front of the guitar. Can. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this band's slightly heavier, so this mic's going to respond well. That's just experience, which mm. just comes with time. Knowing which... Heimbach's doing a series on toy pianos. I imagine which, and he's got lots of toy pianos, which one he's going to record mm. doesn't always go through the same mic and dictaphone. Mm. Did you see there's a, that's a dulcitone belonged to my great grandparents, which is basically tuning fork piano, which is sounds, that's like a one for dictaphones as yeah. well. Need to like bust that back. But it's like all the keys are falling apart. Like it needs mechanical work. But it's, it's interesting, this idea of time. I think with the technology and speaking to Lightbath about this recently, that no one picks up a trumpet or violin and sounds good instantly. They're, they're, those two, specifically a violin, is known as an instrument that takes years to get a nice note, mm, regardless like a, of like being able theremin. to play. Yeah. But, well, theremin's more along the line of a synth. The purity of the tone can be very good from the start. The vi- that first note, you oh, try the violin. Oh, I'm sorry, I totally see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so you're... <laughs> Yeah, and, and like Bath said, you know, you can you can plug an oscillator in and it give you the purest, nicest sign or richest saw or whatever. That creates an illusion, I think, of mm. well, these oscillators and filters sound amazing. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, or, or so the music I'm making is good, or so this patch is good, or it's of it almost takes the intention away. I think of just well, it just sounds good. So it's like so it is there's a track. You, you mean you don't work as hard on the melody? Yeah. You don't work in hard. It's like sculpting and arranging. Yeah, it creates an illusion of, and it's interesting. You know, droning oscillator isn't that interesting for much time, but it's an illusion of well, that sounds good. Mm. So they maybe don't exploit it. I've had or, that where I've like I've done stuff with like I made a piano sound set using my parents' piano, which is mm. in the next building, but the which is 130, it's like the piano's older than the house. It's like 18, actually not older than the house, but like 1870s. Mm. It's got a beautiful tone. And I would basically record one of every note badly, including birdsong in the background, which, and then put it into contact in like time stretch mode and just time stretched it massively. And, you know, just playing stuff. I remember someone listening to it. I was like, that's nice. So, but you could almost have just played anything and it would sound nice through that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there is a beauty in that. Thanks, I'm not mate. saying that, that it needs a, a musical composition to make it sound good. I like a lot of just drone and obviously nice sounds. But the kind of work and intent, I think, with modulus sometimes disappears. Cause you do you mean know, that people don't have intent? Yeah, I think so. Myself included. You yeah, do some no, things and then you listen back the day after and you're like... What was I trying to do? <laughs> but if the instrument didn't immediately sound good, if that was me trying to play a violin, I'd know it was rubbish from the off because I'd yeah. be like, that's just not not good. Almost, I think the work and the experience makes those simple things better, which is what I guess I'm kind of getting at with time back of just knowing that just recording that thing on that piece of equipment will give you several minutes of interesting musical information mm. it's just a time and experience mm. thing i think yeah, yeah. it's no well there's the i kept thinking about brian eno brian eno quote where he's like 
You know, it takes a minute to learn how to play a synthesizer. It takes a lifetime to learn how not to play a synthesizer. Yeah. You know, it's that sort of... It's back to structure and dance tracks again. It, I mean, it's not say everyone that makes dance music has to be a DJ, but they know what's going to work yeah. because they've been playing it and trying their own tracks. Yeah. And that's just a time and experience thing. Yeah. We kind of need to, I think, just almost slow down a bit and just accept things are going to take a while. I think the, the analogy, well, analogy, but part of it is that thing about, um, there's another quote, there's like Ira Glass quote where he talks about how, um, you know, when you start anything, you're, I might be him, maybe I'm attributing it, but he's like, when you start anything, the problem is you've got really good taste. You know, you know what good sounds like and you know that what you're making doesn't sound like that, which yeah. is that, and it's almost like Uncanny Valley in sort of CG effects. It's like you've got to get past this point where it isn't right long enough to get to the point where you realise that you're good at what it is and then you're kind of off and you can improve yeah. in other ways. But it's, um, you know, I suppose that's a question I can put to you is like, how would you, how did you get over the uncanny valley of like, because it's when you start out, you know, it's just, you maybe you need to have a bit of an ego where you're like, I'm actually quite good at this. You know, it's sort of, I suppose that's a good thing about electronic music is it is very gratifying. Like the oscillator does yeah. sound good. But but learning to wield it as part of a composition and, and use it in innovative ways takes time. Yeah, well, just before I get nope. <laughs> to me about that, um, it, things can sound good. Someone might just turn something on and do something really great straight off the bat. But is that the best that they're capable of? Or is Ooh. that the best thing they've got in them? Maybe not. And I guess the illusion with, with modular is that you maybe don't get past that because you haven't had to work at it, you know, I'm not doing this, but I might just be putting out simple little sketches that are very little effort, but they may be, people might really like them. Now, if I work at it that bit more, there might be something better in there. I always like this kind of idea of there's something, there's more to come. Yeah. It's that kind of everlasting learning and, and it all feeds around. The the ego thing, I don't know. I, I don't know when I started to think this is good enough. Mm. Like, <laughs> well, you were sort of forced to because you took a year off to like make yourself. Yeah. You did your 10,000 hours in that year, basically, didn't you? But by that point, I'd had a couple of years of putting out dance tracks. So it was, and I could look back and be like, regardless of the style, the production on that isn't good enough. Mm. That, that goalpost is always moving. It's like, you know, anything playing in a band and you think, we're really good. We're a great indie band. Why aren't we getting good gigs? And the more of them you do, you, the more you realise... Yeah, you're not that yeah, good. Yeah, really not. Good. <laughs> <laughs> or, you did, or the recordings aren't as good as they could be, or whatever. You kind of it's yeah, always analysing and moving forward. I think. Hmm. But in terms of putting stuff out, I don't. There is a point where, like, from then on, I'm happy with the output. Now, again, it's funny. Earlier, I said you wouldn't find any of my early stuff, and it's embarrassing. I mean, it's not. That's just young and naive me. Mm. And it happened to get released that, all right, that isn't what I'd show anyone. But there are things from years back that I wouldn't be happy with. Yeah. What that turning point is, I'm not sure. And what gives you, what would also give you the sort of proclivity to electronic music, do you think? Why would you, why are you drawn to this at all? That sort of, that's the other thing. I don't know. Like, what I, appeals? It started, uh, my mum's record collection, probably. We were used to music being a big part of just just life really and mm. there's a lot of vinyl records that you know had cd play at the time or cassette deck or whatever 
and we'd have and me and my sister and some friends off the street we'd just like dance around the front room but that was always to turntable uh, to vinyl it was mm. always we'll get a record out we'll put this on and it might be I Want to Break Free by Queen or something and we'd dance around the room or whatever a, but it was a, the <laughs> but it was a like that was a, an intentional thing and there was enough kind of variety in that I guess mm. but I don't really know why dance music I mean I was playing in like pop punk cover bands because yeah, your, your background is more like like band production playing yeah. playing instrument like real, yeah. real, so instru- playing, real instruments real instruments <laughs> <laughs> none of that fake stuff so I started playing drums at about 10, 11 guitar yeah. not long after that I've been this tall since I was 11 so I was playing <laughs> <laughs> in, in varying widths yeah, yeah. And, and depths but I've been this tall since I was about 11 or 12 about 6 foot two or something when I was about 12 so oh mate um, wow so and my friends were a bit older so just as they were trying to get into pubs and playing gigs um I kind of just tagged along mm. and parents were supportive enough of no go out be safe enjoy yourself go out go and go play gigs and there are enough venues around that until 10 you could be in there underage anyway and then bouncers would kind of sweep the room kick mm. all the kids out kind of thing so I used to play gigs while I was at school and we used to sell tickets for, you know, four quid a gig and we got two quid of that back after we'd sold 20. So it was, you get all of your classmates to come and all the friends in other year groups do that. And we used to do all right. Mm. There's a funny period of, I got paid more as a kid playing, not covers like, you know, it's still a case of you can do well playing in a function band and a wedding band and all that kind of thing. But just playing like pub covers and a couple of originals more than the better original music that I might have created when I was 18 in a band. And it was just, but it was that, it was just this thing of, well, all the kids could come at that point. Venues would allow it till, I said, 10 or whatever. You could go and just walk around school, send tickets to people. Do you want to come to a gig? You've got a ready-made audience. But that was like, it's kind of punk and then pop punk-ish kind of stuff. But at the same time, uh, I'd be listening to Paul Oakenfold or just kind of whatever I could get hold of. Um, it's the absolute, fat boy slim the I, I kind of, story you've yeah, got like then you're sort of getting from guitars yeah the fat sideways. boy slim thing and then and the daft punk and stuff like that and I remember another kind of weird turning point of like there's all those videos now of where all the daft punk samples are from mm. and you're like it is exactly the same thing with a big cook over it there's not much to it at all oh yeah yeah it, it's know. frightening how like similar it is but I don't, people get really like uppity about that but I'm like, I don't well, care it's, repur- it's, 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 it's repurposed it's, it's, it's recontextualised yeah. it's like it's just being a DJ it's just a somewhat more like laser guided form of DJing where you're like that bit is amazing let's just loop that bit and that could be the tune I guess the way into it was probably just through technology in that I used to really like playing with amps and guitar pedals and then having Cubase VST3, I think I started recording into Reason 2.5. And we were quite lucky in school that we'd have to, I remember someone from school, we had to remake an ABBA track. We were given a notated score. Ooh. I think it, it wasn't GCSE music. I think it was maybe the year before I did GCSEs. And it was, here's this ABBA score. I can't remember what song it was. A, get that notation into MIDI. So it was kind of the first challenge. And then it was remake the sounds. Wow. So you load up Reason version 2.5. Did like a synth remix yeah, yeah. of ABBA. <laughs> yeah. But there were synths in ABBA. And that, you know, that put a lot of the class off, I think, because they're like, A, I don't like Abbott, and maybe I don't like Sims. So mm. put them off technology. I really liked it. That's always, that, that is a classic exercise, isn't it? Try and remake a tune that you love will teach you something about. Yeah. A bit like doing the match EQ with something will yeah. teach you something about yeah, yeah. the way it was assembled. 
and what elements a, a functional tune needs. Mm. Mm. And I liked, I still love pedals and stuff like that, but I think that was the way in. And I used to yeah. balance rack gear on top of my guitar amp. You know, it had the handle on top, so it was always like wobbling on top. Yeah, and, nice. and, you know, can I bring a MIDI verb home from school or whatever? Mm. Um, a little Tascam mixing desk. It's probably still around my parents somewhere. That grey era of Tascam where it just had these soft, like orange and green colours to it. It's all mm, brown. Really it's good all aesthetics. brown. Yeah, yeah. But it's got the great colour knobs on yeah. it. I keep meaning to pull that out and what, see the aesthetic? if it. No, they pull, oh, pull the, the Tascam. Yeah, I think it's still at my parents in the loft or something. Does it have a sound? Mm. It's only six tracks. Is it a cassette one? No, it's just a mixer. But I'm just wondering, like plumbing modular tracks in. Could that be interesting at home? Oh, is it? Yeah, I've been looking at. There is someone was like trying to sell me one of those, like Tascam, like a really nice, six, like well, Tiac. It's like a Tiac brand. Yes, it's like pre-Tascam, Tascam, and it's like, is it like that big? No, it's a little smaller. Yeah, there's some really like obviously the, like the broadcast consoles like. There's that Alice eight two eight that everyone's like goes nuts over, which is like little like very professional device. It's like a professional broadcast console with like six or eight mic pre's, but everyone's like it's like a poor man's Neve, and it's got yeah. like a overall compressor that apparently sounds like absolutely like slamming. Yeah, a friend has a. I think it was Tascam and not Tiac, but um, it's bigger than this table. A big mixing desk that Salford Uni when he was at Uni was mm. getting rid of, and he was like, "Can I have it?" And they went. If it's gone in an hour, we, oh my god! Like we've got facilities coming with a van to move this. We don't yeah. want it here. You know, it's four in the afternoon. It's yeah, going at close of play today. So he went and hired <laughs> Did a van. He you went in a state car. Or he went a and hired really a, big estate. <laughs> he went and hired a van. Oh nice! He's yeah. like, I'm gonna. And he'd lived in Salford. I think just drove it to his parents back in uh, Bradford or Leeds. Can't remember where he grew up, but then went back to uni and was like, like, I've oh, got this mix. I've been looking at um, one of the desks there. Um, Midas, like, you know, my... Um, Is it Venice? Venice, or? yeah, the Venice, like, 16, 24, and 32. And they're not a lot of money. They go for... They're like, big now. No one wants that big mixing desk. Well, but the Venice, Venice is really small because they're, like, live desks. So they're actually, you know, um, like, oh, Matthew, you Matthew Johnson ones. uses one. It's, like, like even 32 is, like, that big. It's, like, not... It's not very big. And yeah. it's very powerful in terms of what it does. What, so what are you, are you wanting to mix on that and yeah. commit stereo mixes? Basically, just like... Computers, a tape machine. Com- use the computer, stem everything out, and then just, just submix on the mixer. Just to sort of almost like... I'm not... I'm just so bad at mixing. I feel like if I can use any trick to sort of, as you say, like with stems, like just kind of force the process, commit a little bit, and just say, well, that was shit let's do it all from scratch again it will be faster to do it on the desk than to do it you know in live just mousing and also just like fader rides and stuff like that just being able to just get do a bit of that stuff i'm writing automation and part of like writing automation when you know if you're drawing curves you can't draw curves while it's playing back you know you need to assign a midi knobby thing maybe i should just get like a you know persona fader port or something but it's just kind of thinking it's so cheap relatively like yeah. for like for the price of one posh module i could have a 24 track, track mixing console and just just have a go at this and just sell it if it doesn't you know doesn't work yeah you probably wouldn't lose anything on it no. i don't know if i want that kind of big mixing thing i don't mind and i don't know if it's just again a bit like this you kind of you have to know you're bad then good and blah 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 this mm. curve. i don't know if it's that with experience with production i've kind of I don't mind it. Mm. I don't, you know, I don't particularly like looking at Logic 10. 
but it's quick and it's a means to an end and I don't mind mixing on it and so you've it, like learned to like you've mastered it truly like then, well it was I why, went to why? uni and it was um, you're, they pretty much said you're all going to buy a MacBook and this is what you're using you'll for your it. course yeah. we just use this logic and some people went well I've got Cubase on a PC laptop and you know they were allowed to use that but we were pretty much just told this is what you're going to use mm. and it was at that turning point when Pro Tools wasn't quite the industry standard I mean it still kind of is to a degree for audio it work, is in but, studios yeah you know it other DAWs have kind of caught up now to a degree. There was a point where it's like, if you're doing audio, you're using Pro Tools. And do you, you, would, do you agree that Logic using... and Pro Tools have a sound? Like, does live have a sound? My mixes sound different out of both, but that's my approach. Are you using the built-in EQs and all that sort of stuff? Or are you using all the same? Potentially. I mean, my approach to them is really different. I write very differently in both. Mm. Really differently. But I, out of habit... And I don't know if it's a sound thing, maybe subconsciously it is. I do take audio out of Ableton and mix it in Logic. I've never finished, and maybe one or two pieces, very rarely finish anything in mm. Ableton. That's not because it's not capable, yeah. it's just for me. Well, Deadmau5, uh, he mixes <laughs> Yeah, well, he's a, I think he's a lot of people doing stuff for him, and it's not all just right. quite. Has he uh, got some ghosts in his basement so. of his mansion? He's got some like mixed mice. <laughs> Yeah, a whole line of that team of people. I, I don't know, but I don't. It, I you can't say it's bad. It might be different, mm-hmm. but that comes down to the code. The, the friend of mine uh, used to release his music. He's kind of gone off on his own. A lad called Harvey makes dubstep and goes off touring and all this kind of stuff. And he, he do you remember him saying to me, "It's just like a big calculator. It can't sound different." That was kind of his view, you know, years back. That yeah. was kind of the view of it's just a big audio calculator. It can't sound different. But didn't live change version 7 or 8? And they, uh, kind of, they, they did. did say they something did change the mix kind of internally changed. And it could be that they just added, like, invisible... They just Invisible like, headroom. In, well, or, they just, like, rescaled the faders so <laughs> that you could never clip out the thing. But, yeah, I think they added more headroom, and apparently it did sound different. But I sort of agree. I, I would agree with... Harvey in the sense that like if you cannot get a good mix out of any modern DAW it's not the DAW's fault no there may be minute differences in sound but but that's not the issue they're not the issue to you not producing amazing I've never tried it I've never kind of taken say a stem mix like eight parts and gone here I'm just going to use like unity game on every channel does it sound better or worse yeah but even you can't say, well, I'll use stock plugins because then you're listening to Logic CQ yeah, compression. And that has it. And certainly, like in live warping clips, that, I think that's a big part that, of the sound. That is a big thing. Where people like live sounds mushy. Well, it, it may if you warp things that you've unnecessarily. All stretched yeah. A bit, yeah, you know. But, but warping in live can sound great as well. And like, yeah. especially using like beat mode warping on things like super slowing it down or like doing become a really good effect. Like yeah. it just sounds good. Like it's I remember Funk thing. Agenda, uh Pals DJ saying years back, has anyone bouncing out of their DAW at a really bad MP3 rate and bringing it back as an effect? And I was like, no, but I'm going to do that. So you bounce out like a 92 bit per second MP3 and just drop it in for a bar, like a kind of filter effect. Yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
like doing like vinyl, like slow downs on a thing. You have to like export the whole mix to like make that effect work. I remember BT doing a um, loading terminal up on on the Mac, and he said you can just kind of type any old rubbish into that. There's a, and he kind of goes through it. There is a video for it, and he's like, you just type something in, and it will just spit audio back like a raw basic audio process. And it gives just some like bit mangled garbage. He's like, but listen to the low end in that, and you're like, oh shit, that's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) And he kind of he clearly knows what he's doing. But he's like, you can load up these primitive crude tools and treat it like sample fodder. I love Mm. that term, sample fodder. Mm. I've said it in a few videos when I'm just using like sample and hold on a module or whatever. It's like this is amazing sample fodder. Yeah, I sampled out a lot of Dinky's Tyco stuff, and I just I think I had four or five sample and holds just in time with a hit unique sample and holds not the same one and just plunged it in i'm like that's how i'm going to sample that unit and i'm just going to let it run for two minutes and then we're like there's way more in that than if i was trying to deep sample every potential knob combination yeah, yeah. you mean just let randomness take care of it and yeah just pick the best bits i think it's a out. really good way of filming a demo for the little sync cushion thing at the minute oh, i want that sync cushion it's, thing it's oh, great oh and, and it's God. a really good way of just going in 30 seconds hundreds of sounds are going to fly past us and this gives you a flavour of it. Just sample and hold the hell out of it and you're like, Ooh, really- there's a tom, there's a blip, there's a kick, there's a yeah, noise yeah. hit, there's a whatever. I've got, um, I'm thinking about like a new live system that involves the DFAM where it's like based around the DFAM and some nutty percussion and like, you know, you PIA a- and a couple of syncussions and like some samples and some stereo delay for that, and a really murderous solid kick. Will you have some, talk about drums, a lot of people for modular, will you have some kind of pinning down elements to that? Because if everything is, you take a Basimilus and that, and something else, and you're modulating all three of them, nothing is constant. There's no musical pinning tonally or, or to kind of get anything to it a good example is uh, Detachi's album System right Beats 2 and 4 always have a clap on it yeah. so it's like whatever Apex style oh, yeah, 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 yeah. is going on there's oh. always just this like feel to it yeah. and that sound is constant I think the, the I, will, I will almost certainly have like a, a clap like that's what I've done in my current live system is have a clap on two and four. A familiar as a, basic as a, as sound. Option. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you otherwise you lose the downbeat and it's like in the yeah. insanity. That... Or a 909 offbeat hi-hat. It just yeah. gives you yeah. this freedom that everything else can be quite chaotic. But, those but have there's to some pinning. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to have that. But I was and you could do it... them on any of those. You could take a Basimilus and make this your own bass Off drum beat, and just, just keep triggering it. Or I, just I kind of wanted like up. a Eurorack module that, and this exists, I'm sure. I just, I haven't actually done my research, but just like preset rhythms with buttons to just flip between them. I just want like offbeat ride, you know, offbeat hi-hat, yeah. pattern, 4-4 kick. Do you know what I mean? So you can just go make that very, very time-honoured rhythm that works happen right now because <laughs> we need to like bring this thing back to normality. So... I am like there is some work to be done to like develop that. But. You could patch it, but it's all for a live system. Then you're committing a lot of space to being able to get that quickly. I don't know how you do. I mean, there will be there, there are like uh, launch codes, antimatter launch yeah, codes. Yeah, even like pants. even like grids. 
if you had grids and a pressure points... I have thought about putting grids in is one big sort of thought. But then with grids, it's hard to like go, I just want that pattern. Well, that's why you'd need the pressure points and you'd have to pull the knobs off so you never knock them. Oh, I there see. There we go. So that see, pad yeah, sends yeah, free yeah, voltages yeah. in, that reference, that I exact I feel like you know, you'd be better off with a, a preset rhythm module that could do Yeah, because then if you move something on grids, those free voltages no longer give you... Exactly. what you wanted them exactly. to be it's, so, it's too fluid of a system but you could you're right to use pressure points as like just a patch memory although um, yeah I think maybe I'd be using that new ADAC thing um, could be a good patch memory source yeah but again it, it, it relies Secrets. on it might be a reliable voltage source but it, Secrets. <laughs> sorry but it, re- it relies on same with pressure points any of these you, you can know that right this is 0.7 of a volt and that's that rhythm on the yeah. module change the module it's gone yeah, yeah you need that I don't know but maybe it's, that it has to be done via play testing really it's like with yeah. all these things it's and maybe like, that's why you just need that rhythm on a divider or something into a switch so I you, just basically want a button that can always take me back to it and just well, it'd be your switch multiple or something so on one side of the switch multiple it will always give you like your stock rhythm but on the other side is lies insanity. So yeah. that you've, you've always got the ability to just return to a familiar home. Yeah, um, but you need that several times <coughs> over, don't you? You need, there's the 4-4 kick yeah, yeah. for doing techno. Here, I can play around, but I can always switch back. Same for 2-4 clap, offbeat, hi-hat, whatever. I really like to, um, one thing I have trying to like unpack is Stevio's like, maraca shuffle pattern. Like, okay. if you listen to, like, I, I need, right, I need you to, like, because you're the, like, you as the sort of drum programming master will be able to, like, just be like, oh, it's just, like, you could just draw it in live in, like, two seconds. What it actually is, like, the actual rhythm of his pattern and the um, velocity of each note, the, the you know, the actual rise and crest yeah. and fall, because there is very much... Velocity and dynamic is a big thing. There's dynamics in modular. his drum, which I... I just don't know how he's doing. That with that syncussion, I was chatting to uh, Raf from Michigan Synthworks, and he said, vary the trigger going in, because that was made for either triggers on an acoustic kit or pads, which mm. it was. So what, the lower trigger will lower yeah. the Yeah, and, and that's a real fearful recreation of the syncussion. It responds to anything you throw in. Just chuck your normal 5-volt gate, trigger clock, whatever, it's fine. But I ran a 16th note trigger, just basic clock signal, through a VCA, uh, use step random or it could be just eight step yeah, sequence like... but then what I had to do was attenuate that further to get it into a workable range right, okay. yeah. so you could see these like I had, it, had it on the Mardax data and you could see these ticks are constant the triggers are constant they're then moving around as yeah. you'd expect but it didn't really give as much of a response and then the I was thinking thing well it... does a drum pad give five volts probably not I mean, it could gives about a half a volt or something <laughs> so it like was that. but then that and it is awkward. I mean, it's great in modular and in a big case and at home, but if you needed a trigger to that one drum module, and it's not fault of that module, most modules don't even do it anyway, you'd need a VCA channel, yeah. a velocity source or random or stepped sequence source, and the original trigger source, and another attenuator. To make it all work. To make it do it, yeah. And all right, that might only be excluding the sequence or the random, like 4 HP or 8 HP, just the dual channel thing. But it, it is work. Mm, just to get, like... Yeah. Just to get a drummer to play it. It's but it's great, because it, especially that syncussion recreation, um, a bit like a 303 with the accent, it's more than just the volume that's changing. Yeah, it's timbral. 
Yeah, yeah. Like a real instrument, it's brighter, it's more mm. present, it's more mm. transient, rich, and it's just like, oh, no, that's no, nice. Um, <laughs> you can mimic it on other stuff, but then <coughs> it's an interesting mix thing again that um, the further away something is, it's duller. Yeah. So you, if you had a low-pass filter and a VCA, a low-pass gate would do the job. It ju- it will push it back. It will feel like it's pushing back in the depth oh, of the mix as well darker, as the volume. That's all it, yeah, make yeah. this sit like further away, yeah. make them duller. That makes sense. Mm. But then, I know Chris Meyer does this with low-pass gates. He likes complex percussion modules, similar, whatever, through a low-pass gate. Yeah. I'm like, but why do I want two modules that's that big to do this thing? And he's like, because you can strike the gate, you've just so much more control yeah. And that's kind of the advantage of modular. Well, you know, like like adding room reverb, you start to get into a, like an uncanny valley where it really does sound and respond more like a real acoustic instrument. Yeah. It's like almost like tickling your ears and it'll be like, oh my, what is that? Like, is that real? Like, Yeah, and if you've taken a lot of low end out of that reverb we were talking about earlier and the sound is duller, it's not going to excite that reverb as much. Mm. So when that one hard hit comes that's bright, your reverb splashes. Yeah. It's like a vocal. They just, they'll say something that will then open up the effect. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. That's how that eventide T-verb is just all about that. Like, where you should sing louder into it, it actually opens up more room reverb. Um, okay. It's like, actually, like, it's like simulates having three mics, each with a gate applied to the mic, so that if, you know, if you sing louder, you'll trigger the furthest away. Right, okay. Like, yeah, because we wouldn't, we're not going to excite the other side of this room yeah. at this level of talking. But we could. If we shout, it would. It would, exactly. It's funny, side-chaining reverb against the dry input is a really good trick for production. Mm. That really came to the front with, like, Martin Garrick's Animals, that clicky lead thing that's just, that huge tuned pitched bass drum and a click. And when, when EDM kind of blew up in America, that, that kind of era of dance stuff. But there's so much reverb on it, but the dry sound pushes through. Mm. And I'd not tried it until then. he's just literally ducking the reverb. Oh, you mean he's ducking the input signal so the reverb so has you a send, dip into it? So you send the sound into the reverb, compressor on that reverb channel, and you sidechain that compressor against the dry sound. Okay. Because when your dry sound hits the reverb ducks and comes back in. Right. So it means you can have a really dry, present sound. You can have some smoke. Oh, I see, I see, I see. That's covered in a ton of reverb. The um, Eventide space has got a ducked reverb sound, which yeah, does that. Kind so of when you sing in, the reverb input. goes away, and then it pulls in. Yeah, And it isn't that you want to hear it fade in, like a big pre-delay or something, but it's such it just a great makes, mixture. It makes everything mix better. And side-chaining everything as well. In thinking about a band that's got keys and guitar, if the guitars take over in the chorus, you side-chain the keys against the guitar, just so it just nudges. It's also like automatic mix control. Mm. The vocals come in, so the keys that are in that same octave just take a couple of dB mm. back. Mm. Everything beds. Yeah, you don't have to have that thing so loud because they all just bed... You can like the EQ. We spoke a lot about production stuff. You can go way too far with all this, obviously, but just a couple of dB of all this stuff, and it's like it's all just sitting really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's same. I find it really helpful in modular the side chain thing. If I'm layering it because the modular can be everything. It can be the whole track. It can be every frequency. It's so wide ranging. That it needs taming. You find this interestingly, a couple of people trying to do, and people doing it all around the world, trying to get modular jams going. 
It's like you go with, you bring your life case and I, I make one up and bring mine. We're going to be all over each other. <laughs> but you take like the London Modular, uh, London Modular Alliance approach. I think they used to do that, but then at one point, um, they separate out. They, they, drummer, yeah. bass player, riffs and effects. Yeah, bootler, easel player, yeah. and like, yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, right, that then works. That's, um, yeah. You, you all have to be very respectful musicians to not sort of mush over each other, basically. Yeah. Or be very, very accomplished mixing And even if well, kind of compositional choices are respectful of each other, you know, you can't have every part, every synth line can't be a mug sound. Mm. It's just too big of a sound. It's, so like you can't make the it's almost like you can't make that instrument respect everyone else you can with your choices but it's just the bottom end is just so fat on those things mm. Mm. it's like it just doesn't work and that's nothing against mug it's just that is the sound yeah, yeah. of it yeah. you take something thinner like and it's not thin like it sounds bad thin that's almost like people take that as a negative word like the Yamaha CS range it just sits in a mix but it won't do the bass thing quite like a mug yeah they have like that but they'd work great together yeah yeah I don't know why that is because it yeah I've like I've only really played with like the CS80 once and okay. that, was, that was somewhat religious experience I know Chris Randall said that about the CS range before or not long after I tried I tried a CS5 yeah Matthew Shaw's got a CS15 lovely filter on it yeah Really, really like, nice like sort of, yeah, it's an interesting sounding machine. Yeah. Like really gnarly. I've got somewhere, I've got like sort of 10 minute jam of that from like 2001, like where it's like the first analog, that was actually the first analog synth I ever played with that and an SH-1000. Quite a good at intro because the SH-1000 filter is absolutely amazing. And I don't know whether it's the same as like the SH-5 or 9 or whatever, but yeah. the, the, the 1000 just has a gnarly filter, like really, really nice. Um, and it looks like a home organ. It really doesn't look like a cool synth, mm. but, it, but it is. But again, it's, it's, this, <coughs> it's this experience thing again of a really good engineer knows what mic's going to work in what situation. You can't, if you just don't own one synth, and I'm not saying everyone goes and buys loads of synths, it might not Definitely be the right thing that. for the job. It's just that experience thing of that's no, not going to work in that context. Or, yeah. you know, if you were building a chord, you might not want to layer up a Model D to play a six voice chord in your sampler because it's going to be too big. Maybe the 101's a better choice yeah, for that. I'd pass it, I'd pass it. Yeah, yeah, there's something about it more than that, though, I think. I suppose it depends what tone you've created. If it's yeah. very bright and buzzy, it can overlap everything else. Yeah. Because it can just fill the whole frequency range. The other nice thing, thinking about this reverb and creating a fake room for electronic stuff, the other nice one, and it might have been an Ian Shepherd thing, productionadvice.co.uk uh, or whatever the site is, or somewhere else, I can't remember, that speaker emulation is also very good at that. If you mm. don't want any sense of space added to it, but you want something to unify a load of, separate sounds that have never seen the real life running it through a speaker emulation in the background mm. like speakerphone yeah or guitar amp emulator on yeah, as yeah, clean yeah. as you can get yeah. it and just send a little bit of everything to it and it's like oh i've got this fuzzy gel yeah and then push it right back so um i think we'll wrap up but I was going to ask you some like quick fire, quick fire. Yeah, line. go because we just that's fine. You made coffee. We sat down. We started talking. I know. And you started recording. I don't know how long conversation? Oh, yeah, I haven't started recording. <laughs> Two hours. Um, <laughs> uh, so quick fire round uh, to wrap up. Um, favorite piece of kit and why? Depends on the day and the job. 
Uh, I know it's a real non-answer. That's a non-answer. Um, one like studio. Ah, uh, well. All right. We've talked a lot about mixing. So favorite thing from mixing. Favorite thing again. It's really. I don't want to give loads of non-answers. I know you. You need an answer. I don't need an answer. No, you can. You, you do. Um, I don't know. Stock plugins, I guess. I I like. That's a ton of great plugins. But I like just using stock stuff, just to softly shape things. Mm. I'm not too precious about chain. You don't. Need we to spoke have about a super mastering, posh. and we were talking about Nathan Moody does this having two compressors not working as hard. All right, there are things that I like for certain jobs, but just access to functions mm. you kind of work with. Do you mean I think having one kind of LA2A style compressor and then one 1176E and using... Yeah, but I'm, I'm not to too fussed about it being the Waves emulation that might be richer or better. Mm. Better and best. I hate that what's the best for this. It, it, it's subjective. There isn't an answer to that. There's yeah. no definitive answer to what's the best filter. Yeah. It doesn't... There is no answer. Yeah. Um, so without... That's why I'm finding these... That's like saying, what's the best music? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't know. The, the stock plug- that's a good thing to say. Kind of stock plugins. Just don't be precious and just use everything a little bit. That's what I tell um, kids at school and college that I've worked at or still work at. I, my mixes don't sound right. And it's like you said about which DAW. If, it do, if you can't get something half decent, it's not the software. Yeah. It's not the piece. It's like any bit of kit. You, you'll get it like I do making videos. Oh, you never say a bad word about these modules. It's like because they're not There's nothing bad, bad to say about them. <laughs> like, yeah. Or any like drawback should be self-apparent for like the fact it doesn't have a... It's not got five oscillators. It's got two. Yeah. That's obvious. Like, and yeah. it's not a ding because yeah. it's never... No one ever said it wasn't meant to... You know, it was, was meant to have five oscillators. Yeah, I think that we're in such a great time and I'm not that old that I've lived through not having nice tools but yeah. everything just it all just kind of works yeah like everything does like and if something doesn't work it probably didn't get released I had good teachers that used to say like just go buy a few SM58s and if you can't record anything and it sound all right it's you it's your, <laughs> it's your mic placement yeah and that's all I had I didn't have yeah. any money to do it so we had a, I think we had like two SM58s and it was like right we'll throw one in the bass drum and we'll put one here Oh, no, the cymbals sound bad. All right, we'll move it near the snare. Yeah. I was encouraged a lot. I've been really lucky to have some really good teachers and good experiences of music education. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't, and there's a lot of things now saying don't go study music and blah, 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 but I had a good experience. Mm. Favourite synth and why? That's not modular. Yes, that's not modular. I really love my SH09. Oh, yeah. It's really simple. Yes, it's nice, like the black one with the like yeah, silvery it's, it's, sort of. That's yeah, it's just got this something. It's one oscillator with a sub, one envelope, which is always a pain when the VCA and the filter have to be the same. It's basically, an, a one hundred and one, but but with more like seventies yeah, parts because it will be not ICs or yeah, not many ICs. It, it's very very similar, but it just has this. The filter's just got this bottom end to it. It's double. probably the same as the SH one thousand. It might because it's the same era, isn't it? Like I'm not sure. like late. That's like 79, The old one feels, and I know it looks more like this, but I'm not going on, on the way it looks. It just sounds a bit more plasticky, mm. which is great for the 90s dance stuff because it would just cut in the mixes maybe a bit more than the 09 would. I have a real soft spot for that, and I don't know it's why. Nine. I've never actually played on one. Should have brought it Should have brought it. Should have brought it. <laughs> Could have put it next to the D-Fam. Uh, uh, the other one, just to on, shout sorry. out, a really unloved, horrible, beige-looking thing, the Akai AX73. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Had a Juno, got rid of it. 
the AX-73 is like its dirty little cousin that's mm. been left outside to rot oh, a bit. I really want the... Um, what's the Akai AX-90? What's that's the, different. The, that's the one with black. the vacuum screen. Yeah. The, the, the black one. You're talking about the white one. It looks like the SH-1000 keyboard version. It's like a big... Yeah, it's a big beige keyboard. It looks horrific. Horrible interface, <laughs> but I, I want someone to cut but it down. But it's an analog polysynth. I need to get in touch with like Sam Luckman or computer and go, would you chop this to bits and give me a sound module back? This would be good content for your channel. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I need someone nice to track. hack it and, and just make me the module. It's just six voice poly. It's like a Juno. It's great. Mm. Has it like respond to CCs? I'm not sure. You could just like, like make an iPad editor or something for it. Yeah, it's not too Patch bad. Base. There's not enough to go through for it to be that bad to just kind of left-right filter, cut off on the slider. There's enough. But it's, why do you, you like can the sound? Patches. What, what's like, when you say it's dirty, in what way is it dirty? It's, I don't know. It's kind of grittier than the Juno. It's maybe not as warm. Mm. But it's probably it's all the same. not some of the same. far off. Yeah. The chorus is the exact it's same. It's probably noise. just like the same chips. It's like the SEM chip or whatever <coughs> I don't know if it's been put together cheaper, if some parts are lower tolerances. Just I don't know. Game stages just, or whatever, yeah. Maybe my unit's just got a load of diode. Maybe it just needs recapping. Maybe mine just needs some. You need to come over and have a go one of those. Maybe mine just needs work. I don't know. Cool. That's it. You've got basically great bass synth and a great, like, poly. That O9's great. It's really good. Mm. But it's one of the first that I got. It was the first kind of vintagey bit of kit that I got. You were like, this does that. Yeah, this I have a, does I have a, a soft sound. spot for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty, you know, even like, you know, I'd just been using VA since, and then when I heard the C- CS5 and that SH-1000, I was like, oh, my, man, these do sound really good. <laughs> Original <laughs> Micro Brute as well. I yeah, still yeah. got that. Yeah. Great. Micro Brute, not the Mini... Oh, you mean the Mini Brute? No, Micro The Micro, brute. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I used the Micro Brute with like, the band, so it's, <laughs> that is an absolute... Like, that's a real example of how good things are these days, that if you're just starting out and you're like, I want a dirty little gnarly analog synth, then it's like 250 quid and you can have one brand new in box. It's like ridiculous. It's like absurd. And with like a SH-101E sequencer, like, yeah, it's like badass. Mm. So, uh, I'll try and be more quick fire. No, well, no, okay, let's go super quick fire uh, in a new section that I've created just for you called your favorite Eurorack modular stuff and why. Because <laughs> everyone will be like, I want a kit list of what to buy um, because they want to know what the best VCO and best filter is. <laughs> What's your favorite VCO and why? Again, it depends on context. So, I really like. You're only allowed to take one Desert Island. I can only take one. You can only take one. So in that case, then I'd try to get something. I can't quick fire this. I'm, thinking, I'm trying to think of an answer as I'm talking. Something that would cover a big range. So yeah. I'd, I would immediately go digital. Yeah. Just to okay. afford a range That's of. That's the correct answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's and not choice. to just be. I don't want to lead you, but you know. No, I mean, I really like the E three seventy from Synthtech. Mm. Uh, I had a friend borrow it. Just said the tone of it wasn't for them, mm. but you can write and draw your own wavetables and put them in it. So I was like, all right, maybe the tables are too smooth. Maybe unlike, say, a piston Honda, they're not harsh. Just make some harsh ones and put it in. And I I don't think I kind of had it back before I had a chance to go through it. But plats? Yeah. Braids? I mean, braids gets a lot of stick. Why? Plats does... Who sticks braids? You see them up for sale years ago. Loads. 
It's great. It's just a flavour of all these yeah. different things. What can you go wrong with? Like, it's a CS80 saw. It sounds really good. It's a saw. Or like the dirty, like, wave foldery. It's like... Right, one way to look at this for the Desert Island thing, it's almost like what do you use to make demos when you need stuff to hand. Yeah, yeah. okay, that's a good... So that's maybe a good way to look at it. Um, yeah, Platts, the AGH oscillators, I know you only want one answer. If I had to make a case to do demos, like a 6U case, yeah. where I could put to any, any to one stuff. module in that would give me enough, I'd probably chuck Platts in. Yeah, good shout. Uh, Favourite mixer? Yaro mixer. Yeah. Uh, I use the Bafaco most for the demos. The Bafaco Hex mix. Yes, mate. Uh, that is... That. But that's more of an overall... Yeah, I suppose I do mean overall mixer. Yeah. That, yeah, bigger mixer. I can give you a smaller mixer answer as well. Smaller mixer than Manhattan Analog CP3. Like oh, the CP3 one? Yeah, yeah, not the clean one. I've got the clean one. I, I clean really one. like the clean one, actually. It's just Great. for like, adding things together, it does it super clean. But the fact that you get to a point on that CP3 and it clips... Yeah. It's great with CV. You can add a hold stage to an ADSR. Oh, by that. So if you think oh, you've got sense. ADSR, yeah, 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 yeah. it'll squidge up the top. You want to just squash that top yeah, yeah. and give that front a bit of more... You get more of a transient out of it because it's for that few milliseconds, it's actually just fully on flat yeah, yeah, as a yeah. hold stage. Yeah. Or put an ADSR in or an AD and an LF4 and let the LF4 push the range up enough that the envelope's going to clip. I see, yeah. Great, really creative tool. It's great just to go, I want a little bit of clipping on everything. It's a great little drum sub mixer. But yeah, bigger one, I do like the WMD as well because you've CV over everything. Yeah, so you can do like kind of ambient. I know I'm giving you another non-answer. No, 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 but that's like, yeah, that is a good, like being able to, like the, the, the WMD performance mixer seems like the one for people who, want the modular to be a generative if you're going to cv everything exactly if you just want if you want a nice way of bringing like a stereo mix together the eq on that bafaco is great but also the fact it's got three sends and stereo returns that is just that is the deal maker for me because it's like nothing else has that many sends and returns and actually does it properly one that i'll have a video coming of probably by the time this is online to throw another thing in the mix strange science instruments never heard which i saw schneider's lad and kind of quoting as this is a Swayman style. Mm. They have a filter, a stereo filter and a mixer. It's quite big. It's four channels, but you CV over the pan and the volume, um, a stereo pass-through. If you want to bring a stereo mix in, it's a nice way of expanding itself. Uh, but it works with CV as well. Mm. And doing feedbacky stuff with it has been really good. That's made me a bit more creative. And I think that's purely because I have to make a demo for it. Mm. So I've gone... Once I've put four things in and gone, here's my mix. What else can I do? What else do yeah. I do? So I, I chose to use it just recording the left output, patch the right output back in on itself and trying to make mm, like feedback, feedback drones. And yeah. So that's another nice one mm. to look at, to, mm. to plug an upcoming video as well. But um, I don't know, I use the Bafaco the most. Bafaco mixer for like for like live mixing of all of the stems and those of your mutes, drum. Which it's, the mutes are, like the whole thing is yeah. really like on point. Yeah. It's perfect. And there's something coming with those mutes, oh, I should say. Really? Yeah. The, the, um, that's all I'm going to say. You, you can add a little bit of that flavour, <laughs> that muty goodness, muty uh, good- to your system. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, okay, you know. Yes, I actually don't do know anything yet. <laughs> okay. I think I'm at a point where I can start teasing. It's a cool thing that's coming. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what's the best filter? <laughs> <laughs> Um, again, if I try and go like most used, what's most? What's, what filter have you used the most? I refuse to say best, but 
uh, probably ripples. And again, mm-hmm. people's going to slam homage, you know, it's just mutable again. But the fact there's a VCA built in, yeah. so I can quickly turn that 8HP module to Into a, a kick. Because like I can VCA it, I can yeah, it, it, oscill- it oscillates. It doesn't have a high pass. You can make a high pass, interestingly. Oh, you can do the feedback. You, you invert yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's how can, the... Um, Mother 32 high pass works. It's yeah. Like it sort of feeds it. It doesn't work if it's resonant. Um, the AGH filter, I use a ton just to throw a couple more out. The Chaos Devices, Belgrad's great. There's there's a ton of. But ripples. Like they're sort of precise, like with a VCA. That like just and does, does the biz. To give you two, Humpback from God's Box. Oh, like the semi one. Another AGH. Yeah. yeah but it, that, that will sound, drive. It does sound really good, does that? As like, here's a bit more colour and ripples as a clean one. Yeah. They're the ones, they're not the ones I've probably used. And I say music, people are going to go, well, where's your music? Because there kind of isn't any from me. There is music coming from me, modular music, if you like. But um, they're the two I use the most when I'm just reaching for. Mm. That could be that it happens to be about this far away from the Mordax data where I put modules that I'm demoing. If I move the case around, it will probably You're never dissatisfied when you do it. No, I'm not. That sounds shit. That sounds really good. Yeah. Favourite modulation source? Hmm. Maths. <laughs> no, I, I only got a maths about two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> Your credentials I bought, have been I, I bought one just PM, to say... You PM'd for maths. Um, I did. <laughs> um, I use the Octo Controller a ton. Yeah, yeah. That can do basically um, everything. I use the Cubic Contour a lot. Yeah. It's just envelopes... LFOs, Batumi, and again, I'm not... I quite wanted Batumi, that's the four-channel, yeah, like, LFOs. clockable sort of... Mm. Um, right. Yeah, to take it as that, because I, I can't quite cancel these. VCA. <laughs> to a, for a while, until I got sick of how it clipped a bit, uh, probably IntelliGel UVCA. Yeah. It doesn't clip nicely in exponential mode. Clips. I like the variable response, though. Linear 2 Expo, rather than make the switch. it work to things. Um, VCA is a bit of a boring one, but it, they're important. You can have that too. Yeah, I use the ADE fifty a fair bit. Mm. Yeah, that is actually like that's uh, Justin's like sort of yeah. OTA. It's like I actually sounds really good. It does sound like AM's I, really good. If yeah. you want to get into audio, it's like, in it and it's three in a very small space, and it's done with this slightly kind of high end approach. Like it's yeah, it's like discrete it's, analog. So it kind of there is a bit of a sound, but yeah. You've sort of it's got, not driven, it's no, not like it's an obvious sound. And it's almost more just for like, it's almost like reassuring yourself that you're putting something through something decent, if that makes sense. Well, like, you take just, all these Sims, the 09, whatever, you can't just say it's the filter that makes it sound good. Yeah. It's the sum of the it's parts. The, very much like the, the CP3 is the proof, like the Moog modulars sound like they do because of that. Well, like Alan's stuff, modeling the model, <coughs> stuff. I, I know loads of people go, oh, I've got three of those oscillators in the filter. Run it through his VCA or the mixer. Yeah, yeah. You can mix on the filter. Yeah, the Model D absolutely drives internally. That was actually pointed out during the development of the Minimoke was like, we are clipping or we're driving this mixer. Should we change it? And they realised they shouldn't because that was contributing to the vibe. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, quad VCAs and stuff like that, super useful. But I I don't know. I I don't like... Having the the ability to change like linear and exponential response is quite a big deal because I've had problems with with certain modulation sources like clipping out or not working very well because things just didn't respond. It gets into that boring shit of Eurorack that people don't think about where 
stuff just isn't gain staged well against yeah, it. So you need the, to think the ranges of like voltages, like the filter needs ten volts to open fully, but you can only supply five and daft stuff like that when you just don't even realise it's a problem until you actually try to make stuff work. Yeah, you need to think about gain stage kind of everywhere. It gives us this thing, oh, just plug it all in, it'll all work. There's some VCAs that need 10, 10 volts to open up. Most envelopes The Bafaka one, unfortunately, that the, the, the mixer, his mixer does need 10 volts. I don't know if it can be modified, maybe, but, I don't that's, know, but you need to be aware of that. Most envelopes if don't peak at eight. Exactly. Or if it's going to open at five, but your envelope's eight, you're clipping either the top of your CV or the audio, depending on the circuit. Yeah, yeah. That's annoying. I understand, and maybe I'm giving some kind of secret Illuminati groups thing away here, but I think companies are talking to each other yeah. about some kind of standard thing. Which is, yeah, they Great. need to. They do need to. It's just, like, just let's all make it eight volts. People. The Happy Nerd in Triple VCA is great because it's six HP, three VCAs. Uh, bias and CV attenuate because mm. it's using those dual concentric pots, those like stacked pots. Oh, yeah, pots. yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. Handy. Yeah, yeah. Um, lastly, what is your favourite effects? Most used reverbs, the ZDSP. Pause of Valhalla. Valhalla. I knew you were going to say. Yeah. Uh, I haven't got that. I have a real Why kind of. Why does not make a bloody module of like holes? I just make a standard. I mean, it just get a ZDSP, but yeah. But just even if it had like two controls on it, but it was eight HP, that'd be amazing for yeah. something to run I would totally that level that. of sound. Verb is my like that. Yeah, that as well. That world. It doesn't sound the same. Yeah, very right. different it's not sound. The same. Yeah. Um, the DLD though I think is the kind of like biggest man crush the dulled the dulled <laughs> I've said it a lot of times but that just the way it skips between looping and delaying um, Kev I forget his last name uh, Kev Holmes came and did like a free module challenge thing at one of the events and he had a braids and I think a clock source and a DLD and he just kept looping, sound mm. on sound looping. He's like, I'm going to fire this rhythm in and create a bass drum pattern. Quickly got braids to a kick. Right, that's in there now locked. I'm going to quickly make a snare and just build up mm. basically those two modules and something to trigger braids in the first place and then clock the looper in time. And that was really cool. Well, that in like a form of a loop thematically has brought us back to the start of the, the thing. Very good. That's it. <laughs> oh, um... I've asked everyone about the future of music technology and we should talk about that. The future of music technology. What is the future of music technology? I hope interfaces, and not because I don't like traditional interfaces, but I hope we kind of move away from, not from anything particularly, but I just, I want to see new instruments. That Nick says this, uh, Nick Barton Sonic uh, talk a lot. It can't be too new because people won't like it. Yeah. I like that. That's I'm st- and I'm starting to find, we talk about a Moffin's Eve Stargazer, the fact it's no connectivity, so you have to just hands-on drone with it. I like Bring instruments that well. just... <laughs> I like instruments that, that almost like force you into something. I like the restriction. And I'd like... The different, like the Lyra. Lyra yeah. Like, is a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't have a Lyra, but just, yeah, you have to just use it how you use it. I've got his, his delay module, the Durac module, if I've been trying it, is absolutely wild and it just gets into mad drone feedback loops so you just like you have to embrace it you can't use it like a well you can but it it is best used in a non-traditional way so it's for, new for modular it's kind of not really the question but i really like the kind of patch program 
approach, which is like the surge thing, the dual slopes. Where you it, patch something up to create. Yeah, I've just, just done some, way you patch it. some stuff with a top of Brillo sport modulator, and that's very much like it's patch programmed. I like cause it forces, it really forces a load of learning. Mm. My, I, I had the sport modulator for ages and didn't gel with it. And then I, only recently when I forced myself to use it for some upcoming content stuff, I was like, this is really good. Mm. But it's the surge thing. It's like the, the, the dual slopes are linear. But if you patch the output back into the CV input, they become exponential. Mm. Because the curves, if you CV that with that, it's going to kind of make it bend. <laughs> it's just... But, but it's like... So then it's like, uh, so that could be triggering itself at audio rates and I've got like feedback in a wave shaper. That's really interesting. Mm. But I don't know, interface has been different. Do you mean you just... You know, just keyboards are for everything. Need, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Or what would it be? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think controllers have done a lot for that. People being able to engage and play music that just would get nowhere with a MIDI keyboard, for example. Mm. Pads, knobs, buttons. Yeah. That have um, been allowed people to make music who never could, like me, basically. <laughs> Can't play a keyboard, but I can program a quantizer and like a yeah. sequencer. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I'd like standards to all line up in modular somehow. I feel we'd get everyone would all of a sudden have a richer experience. Where getting the most better together. Yeah, the the peaks of modulation are made for you know you don't have a VCA that needs twice the voltage of your other one mm. to open because these are the things that trip everyone up, myself mm. included. This isn't responding right. Why? And you don't mm. necessarily know why. I tried to build the DFAM in modular and could get most of the way there, but not truly, because everything was at weird different voltages, what, what expected different levels. And yeah. totally was different too. But it was a good example in like how that instrument works because everything's just so, you know. I think the point, trying to answer the future and music technology thing, I think the point we're at with things like, just generally thinking of almost society as a whole, Patreon, the fact that people will be like, I like what this guy does. I throw him a few dollars yeah. every month. That amazed me when I went from just having, you know, people just, and it's almost like people, I'm sure you get it on your Patreon as well. They almost don't want extra content. This is exactly what Are you here well. for the bonus extras? Yeah. No, no I just, I like what you exactly do and right. I want you to keep doing it. Yeah, and that is amazing. And I think that mentality tied to things like the Lyra or, it's a lot of interest in Seat Lombard stuff at the minute. These more kind of out there designers. I think we're at a point where they're hopefully being supported enough. Modular is a great example of it. There's enough kind of bonkers, weird Yaro designers and modules that I hope they can live off this stuff and yeah. keep doing things. Yeah, yeah. and pushing the What's coming, I don't know, but I think we are at a point where the people are being supported by this now. Since in general, mm. you know, that, that wacky new... Um, it's Soma, isn't it? The Lyra 8. Yeah. Like Soma Labs. Yeah. That drum thing that they've got coming. yeah. Would that have sold in the 90s? Mm, no, probably not. It, you know, that might have bankrupt him trying to bring He may never out. have wanted to try. And never have done anything. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the success of the Lyra and everyone's readiness to absorb things like that. And Kickstarter as well is a good example. People are ready to fund stuff. Yeah. And have tangible stuff and experiences. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it allows people to try experimental things like that granular synth that's coming out and stuff. 
a lot of kind of nutty things like like things like the Scoog or whatever it's called. You know, it's that sort of thing you hit with pads. That's like for that it's like a sort of it's not really you know it's not necessarily a professional music instrument. It's more for like accessibility and learning. But the, the things like that can be created because funding becomes made available where otherwise you'd be looking for a big market and. Also, probably that the manufacturing costs are down. It's easier and cheaper than ever to have things manufactured. Mm-hmm. That you can have PCBs made very cheaply in China, and you can you can do stuff yourself. You can do stuff with local businesses, so that stuff can get made more easily. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, it will continue. We're going to get weird, weird new things, but we all have to support it and buy them. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's happening. I think that is. Yeah. It's not like this. Go support your local butcher. Otherwise, <laughs> we'll only have to get from supermarkets. Yeah. I think it's kind of. But the bigger companies are thriving as well. We're in a nice time. Mm. Maybe they could start doing some weird. Yeah, like think, Roland doing a weird granular. Well, they did the V synth actually. So yeah, <laughs> didn't do very well. I don't think. Oh dear. Yeah, but it would be nice if yeah the, the bigger synth companies to try it. It's maybe too much of a risk for them to not stick to the kind of traditional paths. Mm. But you imagine that level of kind of expertise applied to something different. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I just don't know if they're able to be agile enough because there's too many people and there's investors, there's boards to to, to convince. Yeah. Whereas a small company of one person, two people. If it keeps kind of changing, maybe we'll see something. I don't know. First, we're going to have something new from you. Yeah, something yeah. new from me. Something innovative. Uh, no, rehashing of existing <laughs> yeah. stuff. But in a new way. In a, well, in a unique package. Yeah. All right, we'll leave it at that. Great. Right, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coffee. It's all right, mate. <laughs> all good. End. End. Blimey, heck, and indeed, worms. There you have it. There you have it. What a good chat that was. Um, That was also, interestingly, the least edited of any of the podcasts that I've ever recorded. I did not cut a single second from it. And I hope that's a good thing, as far as you're concerned, looking back, and not that I should have cut a load out. Um, Because, kind of, as you heard... um, Ben's just like, yeah, he just, he's just an ideas machine. He is just sucking up all of the mix and other music production knowledge info and putting it into his grey matter and regurgitating it for our benefit. So I hope you found it instructive. I definitely have. And I think, you know, as I pull the sort of takeaway, you know, because there are about a million different things. I like that thing about jazz, like... Um, I mean, it's a while back now, but the jazz uh, jazz reverb thing where you've got like a, you know, a source on the left and then you've got the reverb panned hard right and then you've got another source on the right and then it's reverb panned hard left. Like, that's clever. Like, why have I never thought to do that very simple thing? Uh, maybe you've been doing that, but I certainly haven't. And um, because there is a multitude of things, I think that the takeaway from me, and it's something I think of actually pretty much whenever I speak to Ben, is like keep learning shit like 
you know, especially mixing a record is telling me that where I've realized so hard that I've have so many more things that I'm yet to master. And, you know, if you've been doing something for 20 years, you might feel like you've kind of reached a level of competence, but you haven't necessarily because you don't, you, there's absolutely no guarantees that you've been spending your time productively or in, in, a, in a sort of healthy way. It's one thing to do something a lot. And, you know, you could argue that by making music, you're practicing and you're getting better at it. But there's every chance that all that you're really doing is getting better at one variety of music making. You're just reinforcing the same pathways that you've had over and over again. You know, that you've the same pathways that you've been using that you're only strengthening them and you're not really forging new paths. You know, I have read about that. Before. I can't remember where I read. There was someone talking about like real true experimentation and practice should push your boundaries. It should be a case of doing things that you're not good at doing more and more and not just repeating the things that you are good because that's you're never going to grow. Uh, you know, and that sounds obvious, but certainly I can speak for myself where, you know, when I make music, I've absolutely fallen into pathways of doing things like habits, you know, with using certain bits of software, certain plugins, certain sounds, certain instruments. You know, when I go to a synth that has a certain feature set, there are, I know that there are certain things that I can do and I know they'll give me immediate gratification and that gives me like a little buzz of serotonin, but it's not... It's not new. It's not what I've not done before. It's what I have done before. Um, and so it really will require conscious effort to push your boundaries and to, to, to practice at the things that you know you suck at because that's not fun. I've also been thinking about just needing to learn to play the frigging piano, uh, which is a thing that I, you know, I can find my way around. I can program melodies. And I've been doing it with a mouse. Um, certainly on this project, I can hear what I want to happen, but I've got to just use the computer to make it happen. Well, why can't I just make my hands do that? I should just learn that skill because um, it will be worth the pain. Um, and so it's this idea, I, you know, we all know this and it's the reason why I think we, we sell ourselves on synths and modules so easily because every new piece of equipment is the promise of some new working scenario that might just be the magic bullet to, you know, musical nirvana, whatever that means, you know. So... But I think it's what Ben's sort of, you know, chat to Ben and you realise that there's so much of it is technique and there's so much it, all it is is technique. We all know, we all know on paper that any mastering engineer, you know, talk to Nathan Moody about it. It's not about the gear. You know, it's when you're hiring a mastering, mastering engineer, you're hiring the mind, the ears. That's what you're paying for. It doesn't matter. They could be using stock plugins like Ben talks about as well, like, you know, there's, you will get like the best mastering engineer will make the best record with the worst, you know, with standard gear, you know, if they know what they're doing and if they are truly experienced and if they truly, truly have the knowledge, which they've gleaned the hard way, you know, from getting it wrong and understanding what right really sounds like. So all this is a long winded way of saying, keep learning shit, keep learning shit. And particularly force yourself to admit what you really aren't very good at and try and learn that shit because that's actually what's going to make you a better musician. I think it's time. I want to thank our sponsors, Signal Sounds. I want to thank you, Nathan Moody. Welcome, welcome. And thank you for mastering my record so beautifully. More on that in a bit. 
For now, it's over to you. You're the best. <laughs>